0: Peanuts. Peanuts.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Battle Round. I'm your host, Paul Valley. This is my co-host uh, Zach Goodman joining me as always in studio today. Uh, first and foremost, Merry Christmas to everybody. We're not gonna be here the next two weeks. We're not gonna be. That is a really stern look you're giving me. Am I? Yeah, you're, you're sitting. I'm there. just. I'm like. I'm like, like slowly fading down the music. You're sitting, yeah, you're sitting like
2: this. Well, you're... look, I had I had the music way too loud to start that. So that's that's my bad. My bad. But we, uh, fi- we figured it out. We got to yeah. throw it. We got to throw it.
1: When I start talking, just start giving me a little fade down. Yeah, I got to give but, you a little but, more of a fade. But, but but I look over, and you're just like this.
2: I'm just, like, staring. Yeah, I know. I
1: was like, Jesus, man. I'm, I'm like- sorry. I'm, I'm just
2: I'm just enjoying your little Christmas message you got going on.
1: Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. We're not going to be here next week or the week after. Happy holidays if you don't celebrate Christmas. I believe Zach and I both do. Uh, so yes. that's why we say Merry Christmas, but it's not to slow anybody else. Happy holidays if you celebrate something else. Um, this isn't really a Christmas-themed show. We didn't go, <laughs> we didn't go Paul, in that. Paul, why,
2: why didn't you dress up as Santa? Like, yeah, that we would have been entertaining.
1: We didn't go in that direction today. I just want to remind you, however, that today's show, the Battle Round, is brought to you by your local Toyota dealers. You can make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer. Today, young Zach, ma'am, sir, we are into week two. Mm -hmm. Actually, we're at the end of week two of um of the lockout. Yes, and there's no end in sight.
2: Well, that got dark really quick. Yeah, Yeah. You know, we're talking about Christmas and and Santa, and then there's no end in sight. So, well, it 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 got dark.
1: It's 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 basically uh, you didn't hit record on the um on the other one. Oh, you were
2: absolutely right.
1: I know I'm right. Um it's basically they they're not even willing to talk. The two sides they from what we're from what I'm seeing, they're not talking and they're not likely to talk until January. And they seem to still only be on the same page on one topic, and that's that they don't like tanking and they want to redo the draft order. And it's like uh okay. We get it you want more money, you don't want to pay more money, figure something out. You know, And, and I, I get the lack of a sense of urgency because it's only two weeks into this lockout and you don't really need to worry about till the end of January, beginning of February. But the fact that neither side is talking, not a good sign to me.
2: Well, no, that's not a good sign at all. And I don't think that I expected them to be at this point. I think where we are currently is kind of where I expect them to be. Because before Christmas, I just felt like there was nothing really going to be moving as far as negotiations goes. Um, and I feel like the sides are so far apart. And you mentioned they're really not agreeing on many issues at all. If they're agreeing on some CBA issues, it's whether you know that they don't like tanking or, or something kind of as small as that. There's a lot of pieces to go into a CBA. And it's going to be very difficult for these two sides to come together because they are very, very, uh, they, they have very diverse opinions on basically every topic uh, that that has to go into the CBA. So, you know, this is going to take a while, and I think that. We're in for a long winter, and it's just kind of the unfortunate nature of the way things are right now. But I, it's, it's it would be good to at least see them have some preliminary discussions about, hey, maybe we can make a compromise here or make a compromise here. Because truth is, they're going to have to make compromises all over the
1: board. Right. Not, neither side is going to get exactly what they want. And the, the it seems like they're both unwilling to budge because they either yeah. want what they want or they don't want it at all. You know what I mean? Right. If that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. Well, it does,
2: right, right. They're they're basically saying it's my way or the highway.
1: Right, right. So, and there's a few issues, right? And so you and I are going to talk about this because, and we're going to talk about it with Stan, too. There's an article that Ken Rosenthal wrote for The Athletic where he basically gives his fix-all for a new CBA. And so he goes through the most important issues. So we're going to start with the luxury tax, right? Um... And basically, what the owners proposed was a salary floor, Mm -hmm. and then a luxury tax starting at 180 million. And that that
2: seems a little low to me.
1: Right, right. So what Ken Rosenthal proposes, he's saying that okay, so we address the luxury tax tax issue with a reverse luxury tax. Basically, saying that any teams that exceed, just like any teams that exceed the luxury tax, are penalized. Any teams that fail to meet a payroll threshold would also be penalized. So, say you started out this year, your team has to spend seventy-five million dollars, and then next year uh-huh. eighty-five, and then the following year you have to go to a hundred million-dollar payroll yeah. minimum. Say that the Orioles this year spend sixty million; mm-hmm. they then get penalized. They get they get taxed or whatever you want to call it. To um, they they basically get put in the position where they have to pay more money and. Uh, maybe have sanctions because of the fact that they didn't reach the payroll threshold. And for each consecutive year that you do that, there are more penalties that you accrue because of that. That's Ken Rosenthal's um, fix for the luxury tax. He also thinks that the luxury tax should be raised, but with less punishment for the teams that, that go past it.
2: I, I like the idea of a luxury tax minimum. You know, you look at that around $70 million, I like that idea. I think it makes a little more sense than a salary floor. And I've been someone who's been a proponent of the salary floor in recent weeks. Um, because I think that it, it, it does help eliminate... A team losing 100 games. I think you're going to see a lot less teams be that astronomically bad, like the Orioles have been, and the Tigers and the Pirates in the past few years. I think you'll see a lot less of that if there's a salary floor, and it, also if there's a, a luxury tax that's imposed on on uh, teams that have a less than 70 million dollar payroll or 60 million or wherever they decide to go with that. I think, however, that you also have to consider that what you're you know what you're making teams give up. Like you, you have to consider that you can't be taking away draft picks and you can't be taking away, you know, large sums of money if teams don't hit that salary floor, because sometimes maybe a team just isn't able to sign free agents. Maybe a team like the Orioles isn't attractive enough for a big free agent or multiple big free agents to come to actually be able to spend that $70 million. So it may be harder than they think to actually reach that $70 million threshold um, and harder than Major League Baseball thinks is what I'm saying. So, it, the the penalty you impose on teams also can't be too harsh, but I, I also think the 180 million uh for a, a luxury tax at the high point is also way too low. I think you know 215 maybe 210 million the, is those, more those, around where those, they should. Those sit. are
1: the numbers that, that he proposed, it's like 210 right. 215 million with it with it rising up a little bit each year. I think that right. maybe that there would be a cap to that. Yes. Um. And that's but, what it's been
2: for for a long time. Right. Frankly.
1: Right. Uh, The next one was revenue sharing. Currently, the teams that benefit from revenue sharing only have to spend money on improving talent on the field, whether it be through the international pipeline, the draft, analytics, etc. Rosenthal proposed that any club that benefits from revenue sharing should have to spend the money they receive on the Major League roster. So let's say that the Orioles get $25 million in revenue sharing. They have to go and then spend that money on free agents or on... Or on extending or paying some of their their players that are already on their roster.
2: Interesting. I, I don't dislike that idea, but again, I think it's also going to be difficult, as I just mentioned, to find how the Orioles are going to reach that number, right? Because team guys just don't want to play for the Orioles right now. They're not winning. See,
1: I don't think that's the case. <sighs> I don't think that's. I, I don't know. I, I do believe that guys don't want to play. Don't want to pay for the Orioles. Don't want to play for the mm-hmm. Orioles. But I also think that if the Orioles are are forced to spend money that guys especially coming right out of the lockout. You're and, right. And, That's a good point. And, yeah. And, coming right out of the lockout where you need to find a team because you gotta get the spring training. Mm-hmm. They have a good they have a chance to sign some players, right? And we've seen that guys will sign here. Sure, Lyles once, yeah. once, once A, they'll sign here if they want to play. B they'll sign here if it gives them the opportunity to play more than someplace else. And C when the Orioles are back being competitive again they'll want to play here. It's not like the Orioles didn't bring in free agents. They brought in Nelson Cruz. They brought in Mark Trumbo. They brought in who, who bought a And It's for better or for worse. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? But but guys, when the Orioles are competitive again, will want to be here. So so just making the blanket statement that people don't want to play for the Orioles, I think that that's a little bit of a fallacy because you're leaving out some things. But 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 yes, there is the idea that when your team is this bad, players don't want to play for a team that, that that's that bad, that that's tanking. Now it's up to the Orioles to say, hey, we're not tanking anymore. People don't realize this. We're we're starting to try to be competitive. And that's on that.
2: Well, and I think that would be the message sent by Major League Baseball if they do impose any of these rules, right. is that you're not allowed to tank anymore. And that's not even gonna be the Orioles decision. They're not gonna come out and say, We're not tanking anymore because they're basically just forced to. Their their hand is forced by Major League Baseball. And I think that's a good thing. That's what I've been saying with the salary floor and even the salary luxury tax that could be, you know, imposed at the at the low level is a good thing. I think that's going to benefit a lot of teams, and it's going to make the whole landscape of Major League Baseball a lot more competitive over a sustainable period of time. It's not going to be where the Yankees and the Dodgers are are that much better than some of the other teams. Even take a team like the Cincinnati Reds, for example. They may be a team that may benefit from this because, you know, they, they're generally pretty good every year, but maybe, you know, a, a salary floor, a, a salary ceiling on some of these higher level teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees that's, you know, harder and, and takes more away from them if they hit it, um, or, you know, a salary ceiling is what I'm trying to say, um, is is going to benefit these teams like the Oakland A's, the Cincinnati oh. Reds that are perpetually good but can't spend as much money. Well,
1: but, but you also look, the, the Reds have had no problem spending money. They put out big, sure. big contracts for Castellanos. They put it out for Mike Mustakis. They went out and got Sonny Gray. Sure. They, so they, they, they're out there. They're, they're spending some money. Um, just not d- like the d- Yankees, d- though. Yeah, most most teams don't spend like the Yankees. and Now the Yankees are right. in a lot of trouble because they spent the money <laughs> on guys who strike out 200 times a year, and they and they, they got to pay Judge. Um, but I don't. I I actually don't hate it. Uh, honestly, the more I think about, it, the more I'm for because I'm so tired of watching the Orioles play bad baseball just for the sake of playing bad baseball. And it's not that they're you. It, it's hard because you don't want to say that they're intentionally trying to lose, but they're certainly not trying to win. They're not trying to put anything on the field, that, at least over the last three or four years, they're not trying to put anything on the field that, that makes them look remotely competitive because they don't see a point. Because right. I, I, Is their mindset, if we're not making the playoffs, if we're not winning a World Series, what's the point? I, I can see the argument for that, but your fans are suffering. So I, I, right. I understand a salary floor, and I the more I think about it, the more I'm for it. Uh, so now the next one would be free agency. The league proposed free agency after 29 and turning 29 and a half years old, which would be great for late bloomers like Marcus Simeon, right? Not, ba- But bad for guys like Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna or Vlade Jr. Because basically these guys all debuted at age 20 or younger. Yeah. So they have to stay with the same team. Like The, the, the original proposal that Major League Baseball put out was you won't turn a free agent until you're 29 and a half. So... A guy like Juan Soto, who debuted when he was 19 years old, would have to stay with the Nationals for 10 years before he can reach free agency, Um, which is kind of a stupid thing, right? Not even kind of a stupid thing. It's it's stupid. It is. (laughs) It's stupid. So, Rosenthal proposed free agency after six years service time or after five years for players of 30 years old while eliminating direct draft pick compensation. So, if you... If a team signs away, you're free agent. If you draft a guy and you keep him in your system for six years, and then he goes in free agency, another team drafts him, you still get draft pick compensation, but you get draft pick compensation from, um, you get draft pick compensation from the league. You don't get it from the team that signed the player. Mm. So if the if the Rangers went out and they they signed Corey Seager, they don't have to give the Dodgers a third round pick or whatever they're going right. to have to give up uh, for having signed him. Um, and then there's also the idea that, uh, of allowing low-revenue teams who will be losing the players the right of first refusal. Kind of like a restricted free agent in the NFL where they can go out and they can, get, they can sign an offer sheet from a team and then the team that would be losing them has the right of first refusal. They can basically say, well, no, we want to sign you to that deal uh, type of situation.
2: Yeah, this is one of the more confusing ones. This one kind of boggles my mind a little bit when I'm trying to understand the uh, <laughs> the ins and outs of it. But I, I think the 29-and-a-half rule is interesting because I think it does benefit a lot of guys. But then again, it's like you said, it's going to hurt, especially the younger guys. And then I also think it's... Well, I, I don't think it's, it's... It's fact that it's going to make teams bring up guys a lot younger. It's going to make teams think about the way they they conduct their minor league uh, process where, you know, they're they're let's say they're not gonna bring as many guys through triple A. They're not gonna give a guy a full season triple A before they bring him up because they want to get him up and get as much out of him before he hits 29 and a half years old. It's gonna change the way teams think. And it's also gonna change the way players think. They're gonna start petitioning for um, you know, I, I I guess different rules of how this works. And and I don't see really the players association loving this. I don't see Major League Baseball really loving this. I don't know why this is even uh, this well, whole thing so, just kind of doesn't make sense to me.
1: So it's it's Ken Rose th- This is just speculation. They're not not yes, even speculation. Uh, this is yeah. just fantasy world for, for for Ken Rosenthal. The idea of somebody not being able to hit free agency at any point for me until 29 and a half. It's just weird. It's, it uh, seems weird to me. I feel like it should be wh- why? younger. How, right. However, the argument that he makes is that like if you were to put it down to four years, then teams are losing their star players. Teams that like like a low revenue yeah. team like say the Kansas City Royals, mm-hmm. right? They have a star. They have Bobby Witt, sure. and after four years, Bobby Witt's allowed to leave, and they can't afford to give him the same money that the Yankees can give him. Right. So they're going to lose him. So they got four years of Bobby Witt, and that's where the argument is. Right. A- and the owners don't really seem to want to budge on the six years. Uh, and the players, it seems like the the players understand that the players' main argument is that they want their their they want to be paid well and well earlier. earlier.
2: Yes, right. definitely. that That's the whole goal. But I, I think that generally you're just going to see some of that backfire on them as well. I don't think this is a positive thing for really either side. I don't see this as a positive thing for the players or the owners. And it's just 29 and a half is like a random number. And if mm-hmm. they, I, this this is not something that's only been discussed by Rosenthal. I think this is a real thing they've actually like discussed in these meetings from no, what they, I've heard. they, they
1: all, all these things are real things right, that right. they've so, discussed in these meetings. Right.
2: And, and and so this is a real and I just don't know why 29 and a half is that number. Maybe well, it should be 31. The, the, like it seems like it should be a little higher.
1: It's you're considered to be hitting your prime as a major league baseball player Fair. between the ages of like 27 and 31. That's true. That, that's when you're considered to be in your prime. So, when you're in your prime at 29 and a half years old, you're cashing in. Cedric Mullins when he's able to be a free agent will be about that age, mm-hmm. right? He's going to want to cash in. He's if the Orioles don't extend him, he's going to want to cash in no there, doubt, and, and with with good reason. So, it's allowing somebody to take advantage of their best playing days and secure their future because if they wait two years, if you wait two years and you're 31, look at where, where Trey Mancini is right now. Trey Mancini's going to be, what, 31 in March? Is he 30 already? Uh, I believe he's 29. But yeah, I'll so, so, that. so, he's going to be 30 in March, and he's in his final year of arbitration eligibility. And so, basically, he's in a situation where... That he, he's any contract you're paying for a year or two, mm-hmm. or at least teams will look at it like they're paying for a year or two. And he certainly, through no fault of his own, we know what happened with him, right? Yeah. But he didn't help his causes with the season he just had. It was a good right. season, but it wasn't a Trey Mancini season. 250, right. 251, I think he batted yeah. with 21 homers and 71 RBIs is not a Trey Mancini season, right? right? It's, it's
2: overly average, right. Um. to be fair. But yeah. it, and again, that's not really his fault in any right. way.
1: Right, and, and we're we're not hating on him for. No. but it is what it is. And teams are going to look at Trey Mancini and they're going to say he's coming off a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. He's coming off of uh, a, a, a mediocre year, and he's only getting older. Right. Uh, do we really want to pay this guy? It's right. why the Orioles haven't extended him either. Right. Y- it's y- you. You want to. Look at the player, and, and, man, we're going off on the, a totally different topic right now, but you want to <laughs> look at the player, and you want to you want to feel for his circumstances and for a situation yeah, you want to do right by him, but you're also a business, and you want to do what's best for your ball club. And is it best for your ball club to sign Trey Mancini at 30 years old or approaching his age 31 season, which is what he's going to be doing at the end of next year, uh, with a four- or five-year contract for Buku Bucks? For f- mm-hmm. At least fifteen million dollars a year for him to only be good for a couple of years when you already see a downward trend, and that's a situation that people that, that they find themselves in with free agency, and that's why twenty nine and a half, rounding it back around, that's why twenty nine and a half is the number in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I get your point there. Um, I and I don't have anything more to add to that. I think you made a great point, but it's to me, it's just a little bit odd that we're not keeping it the way it is. I think six years, it makes a little bit of sense. But I also think five years, four years is too little. Um, before we reach for agency, five years is kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, and I think that's kind of the compromise they'll end up hitting. No, I,
1: I, I think this is going to be one of the issues that gets figured out first. Yeah, I, I, think that they're I, I agree. I, th- I think that this is – and I don't know how close they are, but the but the parameters right. that you see on both sides are very similar. Right. 29 and a half, six years. I think the players' union knows yes. that the owners aren't going to budge on six years. I think this is yes. one of the things we'll see compromise first. I agree. Um, even, even though there's, they're not really going to say, oh, well, the first thing we did was but, – but I <laughs> right. wouldn't be surprised if that's how it is – behind closed doors. Now, the next thing is arbitration. And the league's current system is that a player is arbitration eligible after three years. Mm-hmm. We're going to call Stan at 1025. Okay. Um, will you just do me a favor and send him a text? Yep. I want know that. Um, the league's current system is that a player is arbitration eligible after three years. Rosenthal proposed that the percentage of players who qualify for Super 2 status, and I had to look this up, so Super 2 status is basically players who have less than three years of service time, but more than two years. So it's like, if you have two years service time plus 133 days, you're a super two, so you can you can qualify for arbitration technically a year earlier than you normally would be allowed yes. to. Yes. Um, so what Rosenthal and right now the that percentage you have to be in the top 22 percent uh-huh. of service time for players that fall into that category. More than two years but less than three years, you have to be in the top 22 percent. Ken Rosenthal is a um, proposing that they that they raise the league minimum to about eight hundred thousand dollars a year, so it kind of helps the players get paid earlier. They're happier because they're getting yeah. they're getting th- two they're getting two hundred seventy five thousand dollars or two hundred over two hundred thousand dollars more yeah. a year than they would be otherwise. And he's saying that they should raise the percentage. He didn't give a specific number on raising the percentage. It raised from seventeen percent to twenty two percent in twenty twelve, but he's saying that they should raise that number again. So if it's another six percent, does to go up to twenty eight percent. So if you're in the top twenty-eight percent, you can start getting paid, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, not even millions right. of millions sure. of dollars per per player. So this is something that I think is could happen. I think it's, yeah. it's. I don't think it's a bad idea. The whole the whole argument here is pay players more. I mean, pay, that's, pay, pay, the payer the players want to be paid more, and they want to be play, paid earlier in their career. Right. I don't really have an issue with that because yeah. B- like, look, we can look at it as an innocent bystander, as a casual fan, and say, well, they're making generational money either way. <laughs> right. But they're in an industry where it's eat or be eaten.
2: It's competitive. Right. right.
1: And, 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 and this is what the money is. You don't A, a doctor can make $400,000 a year, mm-hmm. right? And he's not going to say, oh, well, but for the first three years, you guys can pay me $175,000 yep. a year. So, so
2: where I find fault with a a minimum at eight hundred thousand, I believe the league minimum this year is, is around six hundred thousand. Right. So it's about two hundred thousand more. The way I find fault with this is that you're going to have a guy, and I don't want to throw him under the bus, but I'm just going to. Um, Andrew Velasquez, per se. Just take a guy like that who is not a really a major league player. He's like more like a 4A player. Who is going to find backup roles on teams because he's versatile and can play everywhere. He's going to be a guy who lasts in the league. He might have four years of service time at some point. There's a good chance Andrew Velasquez lasts as a backup shortstop or a backup second baseman or wherever they want to put him. The Yankees had him on their team this year. The Orioles have had him in the past. Does a guy like that Deserve the kind of money that maybe a rookie say like Juan, when Juan Soto came up, he'd be making that same minimum salary. Does a guy like Andrew Velasquez deserve? He paid almost a million dollars, and then be able to make arbitration that early on? Say that you know if he's one of this uh, top 22 percent. Does he deserve the same kind of money that a guy like a generational talent like Juan Soto would? Does that make sense? Well, where- but, but
1: see, and that's where you have an ownership mentality. He doesn't deserve to make yeah. this kind of money because he's not as good, whereas a players' union, all they care about is getting their players yeah. paid. And that's, what, and, that, and that's their job. Mm-hmm. The, the, the players' union, their job is to protect their players. And maybe in your mind and in uh, Brian Cashman's mind, he's not worth that money, mm-hmm. right? In Andrew Velasquez's mind, you're damn well, right. I'm sure, if he, if yeah. I'm he sure you that think money, so. And if you give him <laughs> the opportunity, he's going to, in his mind, we both know, we've watched Andrew Velasquez play, Right, and he's but, just an example of one of many. Right. In his mind, I'm going to go out to it. And I'm going to show you that I'm worth that money. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter because if it's the league minimum, that's what you're getting. And, and right. see, what you're also saying, if, if you are <clears throat> if you become arbitration eligible after with, with Super 2 status, you're going to get a hefty pay raise. He's not going to get the same pay raise that Juan Soto is going to get. So right. they're really only making the same amount of money for the first couple of years. Now, really, yeah, where, right. where, yes. where the fault is is actually back on the owners. Because if you if you have a talent that's Juan Soto that's 19, 20 years old, and they're the clearly the best hitter in baseball— why aren't you extending them?
2: Well, the, right, that's the, the, that's an argument too.
1: The Rays just extended Juan Wander DeFranc- yep. Franco. Yep. They gave him stupid money after seventy games. Yep. Right. Juan Soto's put together three years now, showing I'm the best freaking player in baseball. Yeah. The fact that he's not extended yet, has he? He hasn't been extended no. yet. No. Nope. Right. The fact that Juan Soto hasn't been extended yet, that is on the ownership.
2: I yeah, I don't disagree with that either. I just think that it's and maybe I do take an owner's standpoint. I think I take. More of the owners' standpoint from this whole. That's well, because you th- want to be an executive. From this whole, th- well, fair enough, yes. But uh, from this whole thing it, that I look at it, I kind of side with the owners. I, I'd like to see players take a little bit longer to reach arbitration and then make a little bit less when you know they're on that rookie deal. But that's just my opinion, and I think that. Uh, it's just kind of more fair to, I, I guess, the talent dispersion across the league. When you see a guy like Juan Soto making eight hundred thousand, and also Andrew Velasquez making eight hundred thousand, it's just a little bit questionable to me.
1: Yeah, but that I mean, but that's 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 a system, you know. What yeah, I mean? it and, is and, for sure. And, and for I sure. think that that they would both be excited that they get, that they have an opportunity now to make two hundred thousand dollars. And, and,
2: and more power to Andrew Velasquez if he. If yeah. <laughs> more power to
1: him. Um, the next issue is the draft. Right now, the draft order is determined by record rather than, uh, uh, by record, worst to best, which entices tanking. Both sides agree that this needs to be altered. I think most people around baseball will say that this needs to be altered. I wish it had been altered. I'm glad that that the Orioles got Adley Rutschman out of the deal. I'm glad that they got Heston Kerstad and that they have the number 1 overall pick this year, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I think I would have been happier if I'm watching my team try to to at least be competitive Mm -hmm. uh, rather than tanking so they can get a better draft pick. Um, Rosenthal proposed that the 10 lowest revenue non-playoff teams be placed in the lottery with a weighted advantage going to the teams with the best record. So a team like the Orioles would be in the draft lottery, Mm -hmm. but they would have the least opportunity to get the top overall pick because they had the worst record in baseball.
2: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that.
1: Yeah. Jason Stark proposed a tanks but no tanks draft method in which... The five teams who were closest to making the playoffs but missed would get the top five picks. So a team like the Toronto Blue Jays that won 91 games and legitimately may have one of the best rosters in all of baseball would get the top pick because they finished the game out.
2: So my question to Jason Stark on this one is, so why would a prospect make the difference? It's not like just because drafting a guy is going to make them a playoff team the next year. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like why why is drafting that guy yeah, a reward I, I don't what know.
1: It, what he's saying is that it, it, it rewards you for it rewards you for putting forth the effort and being a competitive ball. Coach. Oh, definitely. That's, what he's, that's what, what he's
2: saying. I just think it doesn't make sense yeah, in it, actual it reality. It, it's I mean, not it, like the NFL. It's not right.
1: like, oh, so now I can go out there and I can draft Trevor Lawrence to replace my my Trent Dilfer quarterback and we and give us the opportunity to now be that, that championship caliber team. Uh, so I, I get what you're saying there. I don't like the idea because it basically it would mean that if the Orioles – the his draft method is basically the top five picks go to the top five teams that just missed the playoffs. Then, then the worst records that you have, the worst records that you have, uh, six to fifteen, the sixth worst record through the fifteenth worst record would then get picked six through fifteen, and then it's a reverse order of the worst picks in baseball. So the Orioles would pick twentieth, yeah, before the I.
2: It just doesn't make sense. How are you ever supposed to get better? That's my question.
1: Exactly. And, that, and that's and that's the argument. That's mm-hmm. the argument, which is why it, they're not going to to yeah. incorporate that. But uh, let's get Stan on the line because there's a lot of issues that we just covered, and I want to I get Stan's opinion on it. Stan, first and foremost, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well, doing really well. And we're going to talk about a Ken Rosenthal article that I read uh, here momentarily that really kind of tackles the CBA issues. First and foremost, I do want to ask you about uh, Anthony Benboom, who the Orioles signed. He's a minor league catcher that they signed. He has 54 games of major league experience. The the batting line, 178-241-287, leaves a lot to be desired, but he's thrown out 14 of 35 base stealers for a 40% clip at the major league level and a 35% caught stealing rate at the minor league level. How do you feel about this signing for the Orioles?
3: Uh, kind of a yawn. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I mean this this is like picking up Boston wins. You know, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, doesn't doesn't move me. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't expect me.
1: There, no, no signings that happen during this lockout because they're all going to be minor league deals are really going to move you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do expect the Orioles to go after a major league catcher once the lockout is over, assuming that it will end at some point. You would expect them to go out and get uh, a major league caliber catcher to hold down the fort while they wait for Adley Rutschman, assuming he's not on the big league roster. But I do like the idea of getting a catch-and-throw guy who can throw out base dealers that can help a, a, a young pitching staff uh, does he? Do you see him having an opportunity? And this is without knowing who else they signed to compete for a job, whether it be a starting job for a month or a backup job.
3: I mean, I you know he's just catching depth for the roster now. I've never really seen Anthony Bemboom play before, so I really can't. It's it's not really worth an awful lot of time.
1: Fair- Fair enough. Fair, yeah. fair
3: enough. fair
1: we're enough. Scratch, we're scratching and clawing, my man. Yep. We, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I'll tell you.
3: I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed before we get into the Rosenthal article. There seems to be a much higher rate of players signing to play in Japan and um, and Korea right now. I've noticed. It that seems really. like uh, the uncertainty that they're trying to avoid. What will be a real cattle call? Uh, you know, come March, where their opportunities are few and far between, and the dollars aren't going to be that great. So, I think some more people, like like Matt Andreesy, I mean, he's a he's a guy that would probably be a, a decent pitcher on an Oriole pitching staff, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he just signed. You know, he's bounced around a little bit, but he's capable. He came from the uh, the Tampa Bay organization. He's with three or four other teams. He just proactively signed, I think, a two-year deal in Korea or something like that. I'm, I'm noticing more of those. Maybe it's because when I go to MLB trade rumors, that's what's there, but I'm really seeing some na- familiar names that are signing over there. And that's sort of a a little bit of a... Uh, uh, side effect of the lockout, I'd say.
1: Yeah, Yasiel Puig just signed over over in Japan. It was either Japan or the Korean League. Well, and, he's
3: got major problems. He'll never play in the major leagues again. Yeah, yeah he's he, got he problems right. similar to, to Sean Watson. He's got multiple uh, assault cases by women. He'll never uh, I did play not know, know that. that. I don't know League how baseball. I missed
1: that. I don't know how yeah. I missed that. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. And then you look at you look at a guy like A.J. Cole, a reliever for the Blue Jays, who's had mm-hmm. a modicum of success at the major league level, and he's left to go sign overseas. And that's a guy the the Blue Jays need some bullpen help. That's a guy who could have helped them in 2022, yeah. and he went to go yeah. sign overseas. It's, I think these
3: guys are are wise. It, it's a it's a little bit. I mean, it's certainly different than Adam Jones proactively signing, but I think they're they're reading the handwriting on the wall that says. Players like us are really part of the collateral damage of this. Nobody gives a rat's ass about us, and we got to make our own best deals, and that's what they're doing.
1: Uh yeah no it, it's it, it's certainly one of those things where you got to do what's best for you and look we assume yep. that there's going to be a major league baseball season in 2022 and that they're going to get this lockout figured out and, if and not shortened. shortened yeah if not a shortened right. season but these guys they can't bank on but that and if they have an opportunity to make some real money it,
3: it's not so much that they can't bank on there being a season I don't think I mean first of all it include, it it ups the level as the, as the holidays come around and on. Ups the level of uncertainty yeah. in their life, uh, where they're going to be, uh, how much they're going to make, and let's be realistic. If if uh, Matt Andriese is on the free agent market come March fifteenth, he's get, he's probably get a six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollar deal. Take it or leave it, you know. Right. Uh, whereas he can now try and get like two million or three million for two years. And at least, uh, you know, it's obviously not their optimum situation, but they've got to look out, like I say, for themselves.
2: Stan, it's it's kind of hard to know how things work behind closed doors. We don't, you know, we're not involved in these processes of the lockout or what major league teams are doing at this moment. But uh, do you think there's any kind of negotiation going on between teams and players behind closed doors that we don't know about? Is there any kind of loopholes to the rules that they can talk to players and negotiate? Obviously, they're not signing contracts right now, but you know, can the? No, I
3: think that that's pretty firm. I don't think the uh, okay. players' association would uh, would. Uh, a party play party to that type of activity right uh,
2: my, now. My thought with that question is, is that players could be, you know, hearing that maybe their peers are talking to other teams, and that teams are kind of unwilling to, you know, as, as soon as the lockout ends, maybe unwilling to spend as much as they thought. And now they're signing overseas as a result. I'm not sure if that, you know, if that's I, actually. I don't think it,
3: it's. I don't think you can accurately plan that out until you know what, you know, w- what. How these issues are going to resolve
4: themselves, yeah, yeah. and
3: and the reason I brought up the players going overseas is is merely the time allowed for them to negotiate a contract is going to be minimal, and I'm talking about the most the most sort of um, like kind of low hanging low not low hanging fruit the guys that really are, don't have a tremendous value. They've had to look themselves in the mirror and say, if this thing ends March 1st, March 15th, what am I going to be able to To and Now, we're not talking about guys. And the, the other guys, like Roofnet Odor, Jordan Lyles, that's a different level than I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about a minor league kind of fringe, the guys that are AAA, 4A players. Um, I see a significant number of them jumping ship to to play foreign because it's just going to be take it or leave it offers because there's going to be the glut of the marketplace of of marginal players is going to yeah. be tremendous.
1: Oh, absolutely! There's there's going to be a feeding yeah. frenzy, and yeah. th- those guys are going to get are going to fall by the that, wayside.
3: I got to be honest with you. That's one of the biggest the biggest issues I see in this whole thing is that players are not only getting squeezed at the beginning of their careers by the free agency restrictions, you know, how long they have to stay in an organization. I think they get squeezed a minute they're 31 or 32 years old. They, they are just put out there every year and uh, sign four or five years of one year contracts, you know, and the, the, um, the industry, has figured a way to uh, curtail their earnings ability. You know, no, no,
1: Stan, you were absolutely correct, and it's kind of what we were alluding to with a guy like a Trey Mancini. If you are not signed to a long-term deal in your age, by your age thirty-one or thirty-two season, you're not getting one. And, and right. unless you're a guy like a Nelson Cruz or a Marcus Simeon or a DJ LeMahieu, who are, who are some of the best hitters in the game, you're not getting a deal. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen, and it's why Mark Trumbo, I and mean, Mark Trumbo's out of the league because of his knee issues, but it's why Mark Trumbo had to take that three-year deal with the Orioles, because he wasn't going to get it anywhere else, in my opinion, at, at 31, 32 years old.
3: Right, right. So, you know, there were that, that was that on was an even whole different level when you talk about a Mark Trumbo. I mean, getting $13, million, 13 and a half million for three years, th- I mean $39 million for three years, is still a tremendous payday. Right. I'm talking about guys like I. I don't know that Trey would would get a thirty nine million or fifty million dollar opportunity somewhere at no. this point in his career. I don't. I don't no. think
1: he would. I think that. I think that. And, and you hate to say it because Trey is who he is. He's. He's a such a quality human being and he had and he went through what he went through but baseball teams operate as a business and they're going to look at Trey Mancini and they they, they see the health issues and then they see what is a down season a very mediocre season by Major League Baseball standards at this point from him in 2021 why would anybody give him you know like you said three years 39 million at this stage you're You know, that he's worth more to the Orioles than he is to anybody else. He's worth, I
3: agree with that. He's worth more to the Orioles than anybody else. And it's a, it's a shame that that's the way the uh, sport now treats a significant number of players.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, Mancini is a, is a first baseman that hits a lot. And that's kind of a replaceable player across yep. baseball, you yep. can kind of find, I mean, you look what the, the White Sox did with Jeremy Mercedes where he had two months where he just you know, destroyed the cover off the ball and he kind of came out of nowhere and obviously it didn't last, but that just goes to show that you can kind of find these players really anywhere. There's there's yep. a lot of good hitting first basemen uh, yep. all over the league. Yep.
1: Right. Yep. Now Stan, let's get into this Ken Rosenthal article because what we're dealing with right now is a, a, a lack of talks between the two sides. There's no CBA um, in, in place. And that's why, you know, we're we're scratching and clawing for topics. You know what I mean? And so, Ken Rosenthal, he comes out with an article where he attempts to fix the CBA issues. And he attacks, he tackles each of the main issues. The first one he went for was the luxury tax. Um, and his... His fix-all for that is a reverse luxury tax. He first and foremost he wants to have the luxury tax stay where it is, around 210, 215 million, rise incrementally each year, and I'm assuming there'd be a cap to that. But less punishment for the teams that go above that that threshold, while punishing the teams that fail to meet a payroll uh, floor. Threshold. So if the Orioles, for example, spent $60 million on their payroll this year and they're supposed to spend $75 million, there will be punishment that comes along with that. And that's how he thinks you fix the luxury tax issue. What are your thoughts on that proposal?
3: Where would that money then go? In other words, if the Orioles were fined, let's say, uh, $3.5 or $5 million for not reaching a floor, where would that money go? Would it go into the uh, into the, um the, into revenue the, sharing? M- the the money that helps lower uh, income teams.
1: Yeah, I, I I would imagine it would go into revenue sharing. I don't know. Yeah, revenue sharing. I don't know
5: what I don't know what
1: else they would do with it. He didn't really he didn't really say where that money would go in the article. Yeah. But I'm assuming it would go back into revenue sharing. But the Orioles wouldn't have. Uh, yeah. You know, or I just more- don't know
3: that, that that's a, it's an interesting plan. But I I. I I'd have to know more about what what tax rate they would be taxed at. I mean it, it almost sounds like you'd be stupid to go under right so I, I don't know unless I really read, read the article or, or understood the proposal better. I wouldn't really have strong comments on it. I mean, you know we've we've heard that that that's one of the issues that they're talking about here is trying to have some type of floor. You know, and the figure that was originally thrown out was a hundred million dollars. Right. And I don't uh, I don't see that they'll get to that threshold. I could see maybe a a three to five year incremental plan where it started at sixty five, seventy million and got to a hundred million over a four or five year period. Right. I
2: don't think they'd start I was gonna say a hundred million, there's there's no way. It's just it's just yeah. too high. I think even 70 might be a little too high. I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean,
3: especially coming right, dude, out of I, a couple of years of this pandemic, and w- let's be honest, what the revenues are going to be like. I mean, there, there must be a calculus or a calculation that ownership yeah. knows, you know, hey, with this lockout and getting a late start and maybe the season starting, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of attendance again, you know. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm – I'm not stunned at all by the the powers that be in the sport, but it is kind of staggering that you know you get a, a half season, then you get this full season under the COVID umbrella, and that's that's where you choose to not kick the the can down the curb another year or something like that. It would right. seem to me that both sides could have agreed to some kind of short term two year. Deal where they're going to work on that. Just like they're kicking the can down the curb now by saying, "Well, we're going to lock the sport out and we'll work on these things." And you see how hard they're working on them. Yeah, they're right not. Now. They're not even doing anything. They're not, they're not talking. You know. Well, they had they had a meeting the other day, and I will say that that was promising because what you don't want to do is you. Let's say you have six or as the Rosenthal article implies, you have four or five central you know, things, the nuts that are tough to crack right now. Mm-hmm. But you've got eight or ten other items, you know, uh, that you that, that need to be addressed. Uh, and they're working on those, some of those things that wouldn't be referred to as core issues because what you find is in negotiations, and I don't think the three of us have spent an awful lot of time in negotiations, but I've spent more time kind of like the TV commercial where the woman jumps up and says, uh, the waitress passes out and says, hey, I watch a lot of uh, TV dramas, you know, hospital dramas. Um, I-, I think what you have here is uh, a situation where if you crack a few of the smaller nuts, you can build some momentum of cooperation that then you really can sort of address the, the larger issues.
1: Go ahead, Zach.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I I was just going to say that the 2022 payroll currently, uh, according to Spotrack, is at $29 million. So that's, and that's including Jordan Lyles. Um, I don't know if that includes all of the uh, arbitration deals that they've come to yet because they haven't really agreed to figures with a few of the guys. you know, coming in the, probably in the next, I guess, whenever. You mean they, like
3: the memes and the, right, and right. the and Mancini, Mancini and have, all they that? They haven't agreed yeah.
2: to those numbers, so I don't think those are factored in. But my question is here is how are the Orioles going to get to 70 million from, once you add in those numbers, roughly probably 37, 38 million?
1: How are the Orioles well, going to get to well, 70
2: million? Well, <laughs> yeah, Correa.
1: Well, that would help. <laughs> yeah, go, that would <laughs> help. Go out and get about I mean, they're going to be right around 40, 45 million after arbitration because yeah. Trey Mancini alone is going to get 8 million. In, True. Okay. In, good point, good in, point. In arbitration, um,
3: you know, we we don't know exactly what kind of conversations they've had. It was clear oh, by the timing of the Lyles, and I'm talking just about the Orioles now, uh, the Lyles uh, deal that they wanted to get something done. Now, do they have a plan to have something else done? You know, like like another Lyles that would certainly, I uh, think, invigorate the franchise a little bit and. Get the fan base even marginally more interested in what's going on right now.
2: I, I would, I would argue that they're probably going to sign one more major uh, league yeah. pitch.
1: I would think that they have to. I, yeah, I, I think that there's going to be something in this new CBA about a salary floor. I think there's going. It's been talked about too much, and I think that both sides kind of wanted. They just want the parameters to be right. I, I think that, that maybe the Orioles internally are preparing for the fact that they're going to have to spend more money this year and that they probably should because there's no point in them not anymore because they're going to eliminate tanking in, in this new right. CBA. They're going right. to eliminate that. That's the only thing they're on the same page on. Um,
3: so, yeah, and both sides are, are in agreement on that. And I'll tell you, you know, it's a, there's an old expression, in, you know, when Art imitates life. I've got a friend of mine that turned me on. This is going back now to the uh, '80s, uh, when I first played fantasy baseball, his his group started the second league. You know, the original league was the Rotisserie League, started by some people like uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn Wagner and um, God, I forgot some of the names now. It's been so long. There was a guy named Squar. Th- these were writers in New York, um, uh, you know, journalists that started fantasy baseball. And this league, my friend Bruce Bouchel, his league has for 10 years stopped tanking so you could get the first pick and built a system in fantasy baseball where the teams that get the, the biggest benefit from the draft, it's, it's not totally spanking people and making the Orioles like the 20th pick, but it's taking them out, the, the teams that really don't try it's taking them out of the running for getting the number one pick, you know, yeah. and, and say the top five guys, you know, and then you would sort of have a lottery system that might pick who the next 10 teams are or something like that. Or a weighted pick where the Orioles would have a shot at getting the number one pick, but it would be so weighted against them that the odds of them playing for getting the number one pick shouldn't really matter.
1: Well, and that's what Ken Rosenthal proposed for the draft: is that the ten lowest revenue non-playoff teams would be placed in the lottery with weighted advantages going to the teams with the best records of those ten. So yep. a team like the Orioles, they would be in the lottery, but they'd have the least chance of getting the top pick in the draft of any team in there because they were the worst team in baseball. So with that, worst Im- team,
3: and the Im- the implication is, if you're the worst team, you're not trying to be better. And we got to be honest. There are four or five teams every year that that tank. You know, there's no yeah. question about it.
1: Yeah. So. Now, now let me ask you a question about that. Look at the 2018 Baltimore Orioles. They clearly went into that season trying. They, they they signed three three pitchers. They kept Manny Machado around instead of training, which would have been much more prudent for the for the team. Uh, they, it 18, they It was
3: 18 the year they signed Cobb and Cashner.
1: Cobb, Cashner, Tillman um right. they they didn't trade machado they said we're going for it. we're making one right. last run right. right okay go ahead
3: yeah and then, yeah.
1: and then so by the time they get to the trade deadline they're 50 games out of first place they are so unequivocally bad that they have no choice but to trade trade off players to try and get their team better by acquiring prospects so yeah. if if that's a scenario they're they're punished as if they weren't trying when they clearly were
3: um. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that that would be the, the uh, yeah. But, I guess but, that would be the collateral damage of that, but the the larger impact of starting to not reward teams that chronically finish at the bottom uh, would would outweigh that. You know.
1: Yeah. There's 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 going to be something done. With draft order and how they figure things, yeah, out. I, I
3: think, think both be- sides are uh, in agreement on that. Uh, I don't think there's much question on that, and I think both sides know that some type of floor is going to come.
1: Yeah, you that, know. there's going to be a, there's going to be some kind of floor, and I think that there's definitely going to be a lottery system yeah. put in place at some point for uh, this.
3: I got to be honest with you. You know, the longer I've been around on this, and look, I, I love the idea of 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 getting. Um, you know of, of keeping my own players uh through arbitration but i got to tell you i think the, the the entire system of free agency that's really where the the nut may need to be cracked and that they may need to cut the service time down um a half a season or something like that and have some stern penalties for sort of manipulating service time, but you know that's a large chunk. That's a large chunk of a player's career that you're under the thumb of the team that originally signed you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and I think I really think that there's the money in the sport. <clears throat> there's enough money in the sport to to even even cut that short by a year. I really do. Uh, you know, you know I, I, so, you'd lose, so you'd lose, we would have lost Trey Mancini a year earlier, but if we're really trying, then there's somebody else that another team's losing, you know, right. by the, that.
1: The, the only fear with that is that if if you allow a player to leave early, and it seems like it's widely regarded around the industry that, um, that the owners aren't going to budge off the six years. that They're putting that number at 29 and a hey. half years old yeah. as, as a number for, for hitting free agency. Um, it, it's, it's widely thought that if you say like you're the Kansas City Royals, right, and you have Bobby Witt, and Bobby Witt comes onto your major league roster and you have him for five years, there's no way that you're keeping him. It, it, unless you're willing to pay him $35 million a year, He's probably going to sign elsewhere, and you only get five years of one of the best young players in baseball, and that's that's where the where the owners are really have a sticking point of we don't want to come off these six years.
6: Yeah,
3: I I I think that they'd be smart to to budge on that, and they would win a lot of other issues.
4: You know. Yeah, yeah. I,
3: I think I think, uh, I think they'd fall in line a lot quicker that way. Oh, Stan, I'm, I'm no I'd probably live in a you know. Crazy world, the way I think.
1: No, there, yeah. there's no doubt that if they got the arbitration issue and the free mm-hmm. agent issue figured out first, everything else would kind of have a domino effect because those are the two big. Because it's about the players getting paid and getting yep. paid earlier. Yeah. And once those are figured out, I think the players are like, "All right, we got the the core of what we wanted. We're willing to wiggle now on some other things." I think yep. that you're absolutely right there. Yeah. So, uh, Stan, we are we are up against a. Um, they can follow you at Stan the Fan on Twitter. Who do you have yep. coming up this week?
3: I have nothing. The next two weeks, we're taking time off.
1: Oh, as as are taking we.
3: time off. As are you we. off next
1: week? We're off next week and the week after. Okay, actually.
3: great, great. So we'll reconnoiter back uh, after the first of the year, and I anticipate that uh, we'll, we'll start to see. Uh, you know, look, I thought it was a good sign they had these meetings the other day. Uh, and they weren't announced beforehand. I think you find uh, things move along a little quicker if the light is not shining
1: on them. You know. I, I think that once we get past the holiday season, it, the, it's, the things really start to roll in general after the holiday season. I think we're going to see some movement, hopefully by the right. 8th when we do our next show.
3: Hey, guys, have a great holiday season, and we'll talk in 2022, okay? Absolutely, sir. Happy New Year, too. All right, we'll talk thanks back. for everything. Okay.
1: And that was Stan the Fan, Charles. who was two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with ESPN legend and soon-to-be Hall of Famer Tim Kirkchin Find that show under the videos tab at Facebook.com/slash PressBox Sports or PressBoxOnline.com/slash Video. Stan just said he's going to be off the next two weeks, but he looks forward to bringing you more great shows in 2022 when we come back here on the batter round, we're gonna zach's gonna sound off a little bit and then we'll get to oriole's banter looking for a simple holiday meal try chick-fil-a catering from chick-fil-a nuggets to mac and cheese enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together order through the chick-fil-a app and bring smiles to your family gathering availability and order requirements vary see restaurant for details
5: every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling Pro. Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org.
0: Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification? CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition-free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443 840 4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Glory Days
5: Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA, or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger. Urban cider, apple ginger mule, and captain's hot cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. Hey guys,
1: it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion
5: of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on Guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Oh, uh, thank you. Very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you, guys, for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Cal Ripken
1: Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at Facebook.com/slash Box sports or listen at Pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, welcome back to the Bat Around hour number one in the books. Our number one was brought to you by the Tallius Bowser show, which is headed your way this season. You can join the Baltimore linebacker and his special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch the shows at live at Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Or you can listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great H Memorabilia and Press Box, as well as Window Depot, WindowDepotBaltimore.com, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy'sGarageMD.com. The NFL Chick Sarita Hubbard joins the show, courtesy of My Bookie. Find out more about the Tyus Bowser Show at PressBoxOnline.com/slash Bowser or at GreatHMemorabilia.com. That's Great. Eight, the letter S memorabilia.com. The Tyus Bowser show that was scheduled for this Tuesday has been postponed. However, stay tuned for an announcement for the final Tyus Bowser show of the season, which is tentatively scheduled for January mm. 4th. Nice. All right, Zach. Zach's gonna sound off today. Sounding off with Zach Goodman is brought to you by the Underdog by Underdog Fantasy. We can bet on sports in Maryland now, but we still can't bet online or on our phones. But you can feel like you're betting totally legally and right on your phone by playing Underdog Fantasy Football. You got player props, parlays, and traditional fantasy games uh, that are all available. And big and we're gonna give you some free money to play with thanks to our friends at underdog fantasy football go to underdogfantasy.com or download the underdog fantasy app use the code pressbox and whatever you download up to $100 we will we will match that it's right young Zach man up to $100 if you put in 100 we're going to give you $100 to play with use and you can use the code pressbox with underdog fantasy football to start winning money today what you got me with sounding off Zach. All what right. you got for me so what you got me
2: so uh, MLB Pipeline—they're probably the most, I would say they're the most well-known draft source. The, the the place people go to learn about the MLB draft. I would say that's that's fair to say. Uh, Baseball America is pretty big too, but MLB Pipeline released their top 100 draft prospect list for 2022. Um, now, again, I'm not going to talk about the Orioles in relation to this because we don't know where the Orioles are going to be picking. Um, instead, I'm just going to talk about. The league as a, or not really the league as a whole, but the players as a whole. Um, so I, I've started to do I, every year. I kind of do pretty uh, in-depth draft analysis for at least like the top fifty guys or so. I kind of like to know what I'm talking about for this show. Um, and the guys, some of the guys I've been watching in that, you know. Really top five range right now like Brooks Lee uh, Tamar Johnson some of the guys that are a little bit at the higher end um, and, and a name we've been hearing a lot about Elijah Green uh, He's a guy who is the son of an NFL tight end that played for the Ravens Eric Green He's a guy who's an incredible athlete with a beautiful swing. If you've seen it, uh, he plays at IMG Academy, which is probably the biggest baseball uh, high school in the entire country. It's it flush with talent, and they play a lot of really good teams as well. They play other academies and that. It's, it's like in the Bradenton, Florida area. Um, they, they play year-round, obviously, or, or Green gets to play year-round because he's in Florida, and it's always warm. And he's an incredible talent. This kid is, is going to go probably top five, maybe top ten in, in the Major League Baseball draft, and he deserves to because he's an incredible player. However, I think there are a lot of questions about the, the contact rate with this guy. If you look at the numbers from his 2021 season, uh, it's just not quite as an, underwhelming as, uh, right it's not quite as impressive as you would expect for a guy that you're hearing about that's this generational talent might go number one overall so you look at his batting average and batting average is kind of an old stat but again we don't get a lot of other stats when it comes to high school we don't get like the advanced metrics that we can get like war or whatever it is but he only hit 321 and if you look at a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. in his year where he got drafted hit around 500 550 something crazy like that which is I think a lot to be expected with a guy who's going to go number one, number two, number three overall. 321 isn't bad, obviously, but it just shows to me, first of all, that there are some contact issues, maybe putting the ball in play, a lot of swing and miss in his game. And this is further uh, seen in his 35% strikeout rate, which is very, very high. Um, Eric Longenhagen, he's a writer for Fangraphs, he wrote a book that I read over the summer, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the title of the book at the moment, but in that book, he talked about that teams in front offices like to see under 25% when they're looking at drafted guys. They want to see an under 25% strikeout rate. We're looking at 10% higher than that. We're looking at 35%. And I think that's even worse given the fact that he's in high school. I I just I, I see this guy dropping down the board a lot more than people expect right now. I would say Elijah Green is going to go top 10. But I'm not positive in that. I, it, he could drop farther than that. You look at what happened to Cleo Watson this year in the draft. There were some swing and miss uh, concerns with him. He dropped down big time. Swing and miss is one of the things that teams are really taking into account more and more these days, the contact rates, how much they strike out. This is, you know, all of these metrics are huge right now in baseball. And I think 35% is just far too high for a guy who's in high school.
1: Yeah, well, first and foremost, he hasn't played a senior year. Correct. Yes, right. he has a whole number. So, year. so yes. he he could come out in a senior year and you could hit 500. Absolutely. And and then and, and then he would be And then get that strikeout <laughs> rate right below 25% and right. then he'd be the clear-cut number one overall player. Right. For me, we don't even know that the Orioles are going to get the number one overall pick. It's yeah. assumed because they had the worst record and you would like to think that in the new CBA, there would be some kind of literature or language in there that says, "Hey, mm. this is going to start in 2023." Um I just think that if you are allowing teams to operate under the Tanking is what gets you top draft picks and all that. under Under that mindset, mm-hmm. it's totally unfair to just pull the rug out from under them, yeah, uh, out of nowhere. And this isn't just the Orioles. This is also with teams like the Pirates and the uh and and the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. It's they 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 were operating under the under the mindset that we're allowed to do this, and this is how you get better is by being really bad right now. Yeah, I don't think you can take that away at the drop of a hat. I agree with you. You know, um. They could. Uh, Evan Drellich, who we had on the show a little over a month ago, he seemed to think that they're not really too concerned about that. That that that, 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 nothing, that he doesn't know that anything would be grandfathered in. Um, having said that, if the Orioles don't get the number one overall pick, Elijah McGreen might not even be an option for them. If, sure. they, if they do get the number one overall pick, honestly, I've already got my heart set on Brooks Lee. I, okay. I think if you have Brooks Lee playing shortstop and then you have Gunnar Henderson playing third base and Jordan Westberg playing second, you have a formidable infield that's under team control for a, for a good bit. Um, for me... Brooks Lee is the guy that's at the okay. top of my wish list. I know that you had, what was it, Tamar Johnson? Tamar Johnson. I'm Tamar big Johnson. into Tamar
2: Johnson. Yeah, I mean... The, the yeah, sw- and,
1: and, and, and if he's as good a player as you say he is, and he plays second base, I'd mm-hmm. I be for that pick, too.
2: And he can pl- kind of play all around. He's a really good athlete, so he yeah. can play... I mean, they can use him... I, I think he's a guy who could be molded into kind of any position. Um, Unfortunately, he, his height maybe would take him away from a position like first base, obviously.
1: I, I think that... um. Elijah Green was like the it name, the hot name mm-hmm. over the summer. Yeah. A- right after the draft, it was like, all right, well, now the draft is done. Who's next? Yeah, And I think the talks have kind of simmered a little bit.
2: It's not a great comparison, but it reminds me a little bit of Blaze Jordan, if you remember when Blaze Jordan was taken uh, by the Red Sox a few years ago. He was a guy who, over the summer, uh, the year before he got drafted, was at all these showcases and hitting these massive home runs. I I think he hit one uh, in in the old Rangers stadium. He hit one like 500 feet, which at like 16 years old. This was obviously quite a few years before he got drafted, but two years before. But he's a guy who made a lot of headlines because of how hard he hit the ball and how far hit the ball blaze jordan ended up dropping into like the second or third round um and he's a guy who was not exactly as coveted as people thought people thought he was going to be a top 10 and i'm 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 sure I, I guarantee that's not the case with elijah green elijah green is a better player and he's an actually frankly an incredible player the guy is a five tool talent however i just think that he he's got to bring that swing and miss rate down uh in, in the in the senior season or he's going to look at some teams uh passing on him early on
1: well yeah b- and you know what blaze jordan he had a really nice uh first year i mean i mean in, in the in the Florida Complex League he hit 324 368 596 home runs and 26 rbs in 28 <laughs> RB, in 28 games only 21 strikeouts nice. uh in a, in 114 plate appearances so not not a not a bad line there then he moved up to Salem for a little bit uh and he slashed 252 89 uh 444 with eight strikeouts in 36 at bats so but he's what 19 20 yeah, yeah he's uh, yeah. yeah he's He's eighteen. He was eighteen, 18 years old. Okay, gotcha. uh, Playing that, so it's um, I think Blaze Jordan is, is is a talent that's going to have a big. Oh, definitely, career. definitely. I, I could totally see him being kind of like a Jack Cust. Almost. Yeah, do you remember Jack Cust? I, I
2: do, I do. I see. I I think of him is almost like a Hunter Renfro, maybe.
1: Okay. Um, S- very similar.
2: Yeah, like maybe not the athleticism, because Renfro is really a great athlete, and Blaze Jordan's not. But the the bat kind of reminds me of that.
1: Yeah, and. But that's not a number one overall pick. No, no, no. Right, no, no, no. A, and, and you you don't want your number one overall pick to turn into that player. Yeah. you know what I mean. I, and I think that the Orioles front office is does enough work, does there, does enough due diligence to make sure that the player that they draft number one overall doesn't become that player. hundred percent. Yeah. You, you look at Heston Kersad, who went number two overall. You, nobody saw myocarditis coming. No, L- they, they, there was no way to know that that was going to happen. It's just luck of the draw. Right, but but it, it but. He's the type of guy where you are pretty confident, just because of who's running this regime and you've seen what they've done with this farm system just over the last three years, he's the kind of guy who you kind of don't doubt that he's going to come out and play really well in 2022 at the minor league level and probably move pretty quickly after that. So I, I, I trust that this regime is going to take maybe not the best player because that's never been their M.O. It's their best player for what they're trying to do. Well, right. right,
2: I I think they, they look at the best value. I think that's what they usually try to go with. And at you know at number 1 a few years ago, Adley Rutschman was that best value. He,
1: he was, was going to be the best value anywhere. Right,
2: because he's a generational talent, and they hadn't seen someone like that for years um, at, since at, Bryce at Harper. A,
1: at, at a position where... Because you can make the argument that Bobby Witt's bat is a little bit better. I would agree with that, you, yes. You, you can make the yeah. argument, but Bobby Witt plays what? Shortstop, yes. third base? Yep. Uh, uh, shortstop's very important. It's it is. A, it's the captain of the defense. However... The catcher's the backbone, and if you need you, if you have a young pitching staff, and you're building around a guy, uh, uh, a generational talent, a catcher is. Every I, team's going to take that.
2: I think ultimately Bobby Witt has a higher ceiling. I think he could become a better player than Rutschman, and he probably will. I don't want to say that's for sure, but the Orioles went with a way safer guy. I mean, you're taking a, a college guy who has won every war, award possible and has an incredible bat and has put up the numbers to show it um, and is an incredible gold glove defender when he's uh, behind the plate. So they made the right decision there. I'm not questioning that at all. Oh, and, absolutely,
1: and, absolutely. Every team in the draft was going to take Adley Rutschman. Exactly. One. And,
2: and Bobby Witt Jr. is, you know, he hit 35 home runs this year. He stole like 30. 30 bases. Um, he hit over 300. The guy in AAA, the guy's a stud. He's really, really good. Uh, but the Orioles also had a lot more risk with that pick than, than Rushman.
1: Did you watch the Futures game? I did. Oh man, wait, wait. he's batting and he's <laughs> yeah. talking and he drives one into right field and he's and he's like he hits. And he goes, oh, get over his head. Yeah, get over his head. And then he's talking to him in the field. That was so cool. Yeah. It made me like. It made me like Bobby Witt. So I have this weird thing, and I don't mean to do it, but I do it when Joe Flacco. And Matt Ryan were the two quarterbacks taken in the first round in 2008. <laughs> yeah. I immediately pitted my mind against Matt Ryan because I wanted Joe Flacco to be the better first-round quarterback. Yeah. He's the only one that won a Super Bowl, but Matt Ryan's the better quarterback. That's yeah. C- that's clear, clear as day. Yes. So because Rutschman was number one and Bobby Witt Jr. was number two and it was quit for Witt. And then it was like, well, no, we want Rutschman. Now. Are we going to take Witt? Are we going to take Rutchman? And then the Royals say, I just want Adley to be better. That, and I'm very much like my father in this. Yeah, I, I very much want Adley to be better than Witt to the point where it made me not like Bobby Witt. I but, love him. See, I but, love him. But now I love him. He, he, I, watching that Futures game, seeing the season he put up, and seeing the... Te- I'm also not a big Royals guy. I, no, even, I'm not either. even. Even when the Royals sucked back in the mid '90s when I was a kid, I, I hated them. Mm-hmm. I just hated them, and and uh, the whole thing in 2014 makes me not too enamored with the, with, <laughs> with, with with the ball club. That's I don't the, that's, you. that's the fan in me. So I don't want him to play for the Royals, but I'd rather him play for the Royals than the Yankees or the Red Sox. You know what I mean? So I do I do have I found myself enchanted with Bobby Witt after that Futures game. So and
2: I know a lot of Orioles fans are going to be upset when I say this, but Witt is the best prospect in baseball. I I think that is pretty clear to a lot of people. And I I Adley Rutschman is is up there, believe me, but if you look at Bobby Witt's numbers, he hit 290 33 home runs, he stole 29 bases, 936 OPS and also played incredible defense from what I've read. The guy's really, really good. Like yeah, he is really good. It, it,
1: it, it's, there's a reason that every farm system ranking, um, publication has Rutschman number one. It, it's yeah. It, it, it's you really look at the heart and soul of a team is is the catcher. You look at the best teams, the teams yeah. that win, the, that have won the World Series. What do they all have in common? They all have really good catchers. It's fair. Yeah. They all have really good catchers, and, and there's a ton of positional value there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the the the. Uh, being a great catch and throw guy, a guy that can cut off runners at the plate uh, with with blocking the plate once they have the ball. Yeah. of the rules, uh, they can throw somebody out trying to steal a base. A guy that can hone in on a on a young pitching staff and really t- help them take that next step. It really just goes to uh, what do you what do you value more? The shortstop's going to get more balls than anybody else. So what do you value more? And maybe it seems sure that these guys and there's, and there's also a reason that catchers generally make the make the best managers in baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean they're they're the field generals. They they're like the quarterback of the of the infield. So right. it's it's a, a very important position. And shortstop is too. You know, Bobby. I think they're both going to have great careers. And yeah. I think honestly, we, we, we really shouldn't even compare them because they're they're great players in their own right. They both do things very well, and they're both going to be very very oh, they're, successful. They're,
1: they're, they're going to be starting on all star teams together. Yes. for years to come. Yes, um, probably face
2: off in a, a few AL champion AL, uh, AL championships. We'll see. Yeah.
1: I- if if you have the Orioles and the Royals again in the ALCS, uh, that's uh, I don't think baseball wants that at all. I want it. <laughs> I, I want. I, I want to see I,
2: Witt, Witt and Rutschman, I and mean, that'd I, be amazing.
1: Yeah, I think it would be amazing too. I I think that that they'd rather see Witt and Rutschman playing for the Dodgers and the Yankees and have that be the matchup, but in the World Series. But anyway, moving on. Excellent sounding off segment. We uh we actually really expanded on that quite a bit. So, yeah. What, what are you what are you pounding away on over there? Uh,
2: sorry, I'm, I'm I was typing an email, but I'm gonna stop right now. We're in the
1: middle of a show, and you're we typing we are emails. we are.
2: It's it's very time sensitive, but I I apologize.
1: Fair enough. It's time, time, time sensitive. Your time semester's sensitive. over, my man. No,
2: it's not really. It's not related to, to school.
1: Oh, is it a girlfriend? No. Is it a girl? No. Is she like we're going on a date tonight? No. It's this, over? Is, this is a work
2: related thing. Now, why would I be emailing a a girl? That'd I don't be kind of weird. I don't know, man. I uh. <laughs> wouldn't be sending emails anyway. <laughs> I, it was maybe it, maybe it was, it, it was maybe, gonna take two seconds. I was gonna be done in like literally like fifteen seconds. We got
1: we got breaks for that. Maybe fair um, enough. Maybe um maybe you went to went to class with her and only knew her student email. And that, oh, and, just saying. <laughs> and, and, and you stalked her. No, I don't that, know. Uh, you're dressing all black not, today. I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> you, are, you on, are you hating on the attire again? Wow. No, man. We're both dressed in all black. Yeah, man, no, we're you talked about this when I walked in. I
2: know. You kind of look like me today. I don't, I don't know if I like it. Uh, you only wish. <laughs> your uh, screen screen's right. going black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the, uh, yeah, just like just like what we're wearing. Just,
1: just like your soul.
2: Whoa, jeez. Oh. <laughs> this is getting this is getting really dark. I'm just going to close the computer now, I think. I have yeah, to. Have I have <laughs> to at this point. I'm
1: glad you got the computer fixed, though. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm, uh, I'm very right. glad. So, Orioles banter. We just had a little bit of it talking about Rutschman. Yeah. Expectation like guys full transparency here. In the middle of a lockout, it's hard to find things to talk about <laughs> with the team. And it's not yeah. saying that we aren't trying. It's not saying that we aren't capable of it. But there's nothing happening. Right. We can only tell you so much about Anthony Ben Boom and um uh the, the other guy. What was his name? Jacob Nottingham. W- Jacob Nottingham. We can talk
2: MLB Draft. I can do that all day.
1: We we could, but I I can't. I, I don't know. Well, about. we can
2: talk about past ones. Like, uh, Let's just talk about Colton Kowser.
1: <laughs> <No, laughs> Colton is pretty good, right? But, look, the, the 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 part of baseball that hasn't shut down is the minor leagues. Yes. Um, and the Orioles are going to be looking to a lot of guys mm-hmm. who are at AAA to kind of fill out their roster next year, um, especially in the rotation, I think. Uh, there's some guys that I'm interested in. I was going to start with Michael Ballman, but it just Dean Kramer is so freaking maddening to me. Mm, yeah. I'm beginning to look at him the way I look at uh El Diaz, where it's like my man, you should be here and be, and be pitching pretty well. I
2: look at it differently just cuz Diaz is, has never made it. Yeah. But it, and and Kramer's had major league success.
1: So for, th- for three starts uh, in the same way that um that I don't know, Josh Towers had major league success. Where he was good for his first few starts because nobody had seen him, yeah. and then once there was tape on him, he wasn't very good anymore. Now Josh mm-hmm. Towers did go to Toronto and have a couple yeah. good seasons there, but I'm talking about with the Orioles. Uh, I, or Spencer Watkins, right? Spencer <laughs> Watkins was good for, for two or three starts because people hadn't seen him, and yeah. then once they had, now he sucks. Yes. it's And I hate to say that, I don't want to say that the player sucks, that it's, in the Orioles organization, on an Orioles based well, show, he's but not good. He's uh, not, we'll, we'll put it that but, way. But he's, but he's not very good. Uh,
2: he was a 30th round draft pick. I mean, this right. is probably what we would come to expect from a guy who's 28 years old and hadn't made the majors until the Orioles gave him a and, and, and
1: we expect that Dean Kramer is and will be better than Spencer Watkins. Yeah, but, I, I, but what what happened yeah. to him this past season was pretty shocking. It, it was it was a travesty. Mm-hmm. He was not there. Was not he had one start. Where he was good. And he had another start where he gave up six runs in the first inning, but still settled in to give them six innings. Yeah. Um, other than that, he was not good this year.
2: No. Not at all. I mean, I, I think we always looked at that. We were waiting for that point where Dean Kramer came out and just threw a great game. And we yeah. said, "There's the slider. We knew he had. There's the curveball. We knew he had. There's that fastball that you know that seems to, to run a lot and that nobody can hit. He just didn't do it. He just simply he couldn't didn't. throw strikes. He he couldn't throw strikes. He walked every guy. His stuff really wasn't good. And that's the, that's the the shocking thing for me because Dean Kramer has one of the best twelve six curveballs I've ever seen. It's mm-hmm. really good. He snaps that thing off and that thing drops like a good couple inches. It's it's pretty crazy how how uh, effective that curveball is when it's on. He didn't have it. He lost it. The curveball was gone. And the fastball, which you know, it only sits." It's like 91, 92, but it moves a lot. There's a lot of two-seam run on that fastball. I didn't see that either. It was gone. His movement was gone. His confidence was shaken. You can clearly tell. The guy wasn't the same one. And, I mean, I, I... Everyone knows from experience that when you lose confidence, you start being bad at the things you're good at. And that's something that – it happened to Dean Kramer, unfortunately. I think confidence was a big part of it. He had a few bad starts in the beginning of the year, and he got very down on himself, and he got very down on the fact that, you know, maybe I'm not the, the pitcher I thought I was, and I think it destroyed his entire season. I it's, really do. It's,
1: it's so funny because on Glenn's show yesterday, I, t- I said that – so Gary, Glenn, and I are going back and forth, and we're talking about how – Gary and I, Gary Stein and I, believe that the Ravens should have waited to go for two. Right? They went for. You said went, you believe that. Yeah, I thought they should have waited to go for two, and it's not because I think you're more likely to get the two point conversion. I think it's because your mindset is different if you're down by eight. Which it's like, you, it's like a do or
2: die kind of mindset. Yeah. Like,
1: like you're, well, but you also have more confidence that you can win a game if you're down by one score with six minutes left, yeah. than if you're down by nine, which is a a, a two possession game right. with six or seven minutes left. And Glenn is is screaming at the top of his lungs that that's, that that's not the case. And when I said, I think it makes you more confident, hmm. he said, do you honestly believe that professional athletes that get paid millions of dollars lose confidence? And I said, yes. And I, <laughs> and I said, yes. And he told me I didn't have a brain in my head.
2: No, 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 no. They definitely lose confidence. The, uh, it's I, very, it's the, very clear. M-
1: making millions of dollars does not just turn you into a robot. It doesn't take away your uh, your human emotion. It doesn't take away what your brain makes you feel about things and how your heart feels about things. And you know, I didn't get to really say that to Glenn on the, on the show, but I think it's very clear that teams lose confidence. You don't lose yeah. nineteen games in a row by having confidence. You don't well, lose look. fourteen games in a row by having confidence. You don't give up six runs in the first inning and say, we're gonna win this game. <laughs> no, you're probably sitting there like are you effing kidding me? Right. Like, we're already down six nothing. What's the point? I mean, I think if you want to
2: prove that players can lose confidence, just look at the case of Chris Davis. That's a pretty easy case right there to prove that players lose confidence very easily when things don't go their way I, I i think yes there is there is a certain factor that makes players who who are professional athletes lose confidence at a much slower rate than someone like you or i would um in playing a sport like that like for you know for example if i went 0 for four in a game with four strikeouts i would probably be pretty upset with myself and a lot of guys would just go home and not care and they say I, it's a I new did, start I, the next day
1: I did that one time in my entire life, 0 for 4 with 4 strikeouts, and it was... And there was another time I went 0 for 5 with 4 strikeouts, both in the middle of huge slumps I got out Mm -hmm. of, but... I went home and like literally beat the crap out of myself. Right, and and that's the not wh- fi- not physically, but I, <laughs> I I really talk some trash to myself.
2: Well, and that's the way I think you and I would react, and, and most normal people would react. But professional athletes are not normal people. Yes, they have a they have, they have a harder kind of mindset. They have a harder um, I guess ideas about the way they should be performing, and uh, you know they they realize they have 162 games to perform. And if you go over four with four strikeouts in one game, it's not the end of the world. But I absolutely think it's it's not true to say that they don't lose confidence. They're I mean, guys. De- I mean, look at the yips. The yips are a perfect example of uh, of losing confidence.
1: Yeah. No. A- absolutely. A- and I-, I honestly do believe that a guy like Dean Kramer lost confidence a last year. It was it was clear. There's no was, question it was, about it. It was clear. And th- it's a reason. It's the same reason. Where I, he was able to put together those first three starts, right. where he comes out and gives up one hit to the Yankees in right. six innings in his first major league start, yeah. you think that guy's confidence isn't through the roof? Right. There's so many ebbs and flows to a professional to a professional athlete's career, even in a, in a one given game. Right. That no, so I, I don't think that a guy like Ryan Mountcastle comes out, goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and thinks, oh man, I'm never going to no. hit again. But I do think that if a guy like Ryan Malcastle comes out there and he's playing first base and he makes two errors that lead to three runs and your team loses by two, yeah. that, that he's maybe going to struggle a little bit with his defense for, for a while.
2: I mean, prolonged slumps are caused by lack of confidence. Um, yeah. You look at a guy who goes 0 for 29, guess why he went 0 for 29? He has no confidence he can hit the ball because he hasn't hit the ball in 29 tries, right? So that's... One of the, I mean, that's that's really guys lose confidence. It's just not at the kind of, I guess, the rate that a normal person would like you or I because they play so many games and they realize we have you know this many chances to actually make it up. It's not the end of the world, and it, it's just it, you know confidence is is inherently human. It's going, you're going to lose it if you start doing bad at something you're good at, and that's I mean, you, right. go, you look at golf for example. Guys start to not be able to putt very well because they lose their confidence in it.
1: Um, oh my god, dude! I got the yips. Uh, I seem to get the yips with golfing with with putting. Yep. Every year for about a two month stretch. I don't have a I'm something's bad. <laughs> I, I I cannot sink a putt within five feet. Yeah. I can't tell you how many birdie and par putts I've missed from inside five feet yeah. because I should make the putt, mm-hmm. so I won't make the putt. Right. Now if it's eight feet, ten feet, thirty feet, I'll get that ball damn close if not in the hole. Yeah. Because it's like I don't expect to make the putt, so I'm just gonna give it give it my best right. shot. No and, expectations, yeah. R- right. Uh, so I just really, I, I watched enough Orioles baseball last year to know, to be able to tell. There's a point where I watched them and I was like, they're not even trying. No. And it's because they weren't confident. They, they they had no reason to believe that they, was, that they were going to win a, a baseball game. Right. It's why they walked around the freaking stadium with Sage through every <laughs> single aisle and every single yeah. row of every single section in that stadium. Cedric Mullins and a couple other guys walked through that stadium with burning Sage to try. And you know what they did? They went out and th- hit three home runs off of Shohei Ohtani that day, and they beat the, they beat the. Uh, it's all about mindset. They beat the Angels to snap a 19-game losing streak, and then they actually took two or three in that series.
2: Well, baseball is a mental game; it really yeah. is. I every mean, sport. It, is. Look, I mean, look with Dean Kramer for example. You're not. He's not bad. He's not just. He didn't get bad overnight, right? Like, Dean Kramer didn't lose his stuff. It's not that he can't throw that 12-6 curveball. It's that he believes he can't throw that 12-6 curveball. And I think that's the the general, um, you know, issue with the whole thing. And I think it, it's just – it's very, very difficult um, – it's very, very difficult, for example, to rebound from that. It's just not as as easy as, as a lot of people would make it seem. And Dean Kramer was not able to rebound. And again, that's, you know, it's not the end of the world for him. It's not the end of the line, but he's going to have to rebuild that confidence. He's going to have to come out in spring training and start. And start with that fresh mindset, and say, "I'm going to come out here, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the guy that I was in 2020, and I'm going to, I'm just going to perform." And that's that's the mindset he's got to have.
1: Well, and speaking of confidence, and Cedric Mullins walking through the stands with Sage to try and break a losing streak. The latest issue of Press Box is available now, and on our very special annual Best of issue, on the cover we celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. Somebody who certainly does not lack. And look at this guy. Look at this guy. Yeah, that's that's, that's a confident man. That's celebrating a 66-yard game-winning field goal in Detroit. The longest kick in NFL history by the most confident kicker in the league. I was going to say,
2: that that may be the one guy in sports who doesn't lose confidence. This guy never loses (laughs)
1: confidence. Um, Also, you can... So you can read about Justin Tucker, you can read about all of his on-field heroics and his historical achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Mm. Also inside, we recognize top people's performances and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season – 30 homers, 30 steals, helping break that losing streak with the Sage, and then they hit three homers off Shohei Otani. You can also see the dominance of our local Paralympic Paralympic athletes. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Justin Tucker, Mo Gabba, sports person of the year. Um, Moving on. Moving on. We were talking a little bit there about Dean Kramer and about his lack of confidence, and I do want to talk about this rotation because right now you're looking at John Means and you're looking at Jordan Jordan Lyles. You assume that Bruce Zimmerman is going to be in that yes. rotation. the yeah. um, Keegan Aiken do enough yeah. in that? He he had a really solid stretch there. He had a really solid stretch there. It, yeah. it may have only been a handful of starts, but he had, he had a solid stretch where it seemed like he kind of figured out, and then he got hurt. Right? Uh, it's it's we thought Keegan Aiken did enough to be in the rotation this past year. And then he goes into spring training and literally just crapped everywhere. So, <laughs> uh, is that do you see a similar scenario this year? Is he going to be given an, an inside track? Man,
2: I, I w- w- with Keegan Aiken, the stuff isn't really good. That's the biggest issue with Keegan Aiken. He doesn't really have a put away pitch. He doesn't have a pitch he can get ahead with. The changeup is probably his only pitch where I would I would describe it as plus. I would say he maybe has like a 55 out of 80 changeup somewhere around there. It, it's pretty decent. He can you know get a, maybe get a few guys out with it, but the fastball is overly average, incredibly average, um, and the rest of his pitches are just kind of flat. They don't break a ton. It's he, he's a you know soft tossing guy. It's to me Keegan Aiken doesn't do much for me, and he never really has. And that's just I, I guess. Somewhat more to the kind of profile of player he is. He's a soft tossing lefty, and I'm not really too. He can ex- touch like 94 with this fastball. I, I guess he can. He just throws. Pro-
1: I, when I say when I see a, a soft tossing lefty, I look at Alexander Wells.
2: Well, sure, that well, He's definitely a soft tossing lefty. Yeah, um, but I, I think generally for me, the stuff isn't just it isn't really good enough to prove to me that he's going to be in a rotation for any long period of time. I think he is going to make a lot of starts this year for the Orioles, and I think they're going to give him as many chances as possible. Um, but I don't believe that Keegan Aiken is a starter in the major leagues.
1: I think that you can get by without having the best stuff if you know how to pitch. If you know how to hit your spots. And that, was, right. that, that was the issue that really plagued Alexander Wells this year, is that the walk numbers are never there in yeah. the minors. And he comes to the majors, and he can't put it over the plate. Yeah, And I don't know if it's because he doesn't trust his stuff. He Honestly, That's probably exactly what it is that he doesn't he doesn't trust his stuff to play at the big league level, so he feels like he has to be too fine. And the strike zone's smaller in the at the major league level, and so he's trying to hit his spots and he's missing. Right. Uh, And honestly, and that's an issue that I have. uh, I don't know that you're ever gonna fix it, but the strike zone should be the strike zone, no matter what level you play at, because if it it's like so. For example, I go down to the Roy Hobbs World Series almost every year and play in that. I'm um, going down in March nice. um, to play in the Sunshine Tournament, which is like the precursor for the one that, the Royal Hops Tournament. In October. Is, is that Florida, Georgia, or is uh, that... That's in Fort Myers. Fort. Okay. So, but when we go down in October, it's a, a tournament. You're guaranteed to play five games, and what your record is after five games that determines whether or not you get into in, into the playoffs. And we've gotten into the play the two years that I've gone down. We've gotten into the playoffs. The the second year that I went down. We actually played all nine games that we could have played. We got to the two A championship. I yeah. actually, I actually started both games of a doubleheader. I got, I, I couldn't throw a strike the second game. I <laughs> a shot, but that's neither here nor there. You're like Dylan Bundy in high school. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> Clearly, I'm I'm like Dylan Bundy. Sign me up, yeah. Orioles. Um, wow. But the 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 point is, the first five games the strike zone's a little bit more lenient, mm-hmm. a little bit more lax. And then once you get in the playoffs, it tightens up. And that never made sense to me. A strike never, zone's a strike zone. It never made sense to me that the yeah. strike zone would be different once you get to more important games. So why should oh, it be why? different at the minor league level than it is at the major league level? Why? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Why? And, why and, ben- and, and, and I don't think anybody would tell you that it's different, but it's different. There's, the, there's, the, there's the, a, Aside from the fact that players chase more in the yeah. minor leagues, the strike zone's different at the minor league because it's minor league umpires.
2: Right. I, I, I'm just questioning why, as an umpire, you would suddenly want to benefit one side over the other. That's a little bit odd. Instead of just keeping it kind of fair not, with you're, that, you're,
1: you're not benefiting one side over the other. You're making the strike zone smaller. Well,
2: it hurts both teams. But both it, teams. It, it, it it hurts. You know, with, with making the strike strikes zone smaller, it's going to hurt pitchers more than it's going to it's going to benefit hitters. That's just my question. Why would they do that? I don't know. Yeah. I, it, I it, it, it's, it's but that's that's my whole point. Right. It, does, it, it doesn't
1: make sense that the the strikes. But there's not. It's it's really hard because a you have less talented players at the minor league level who mm-hmm. are going to chase more, and b you have less talented umpires. That's why they are umpires at the minor league level. Yeah. It, it's just it's unfortunate that for guys who maybe need to be really fine and hit their spots, that if they hit their spot at the major league level, it's not going to be a strike. Whereas it might be at the minor league level, and that, that's basically right. my my whole point with everything. Um, Michael Ballman. That's another guy. He pitched really well his first time out. He did three three scoreless innings. Relief in, yeah. in, in relief duty, and then he wasn't good again. No. Uh, what are your thoughts on Michael Ballman? How do you feel about about this guy? I think that this is a guy who has a real opportunity. I think they're going to give him an opportunity to make it to to make the rotation out of spring training this year, uh, but he's got to show better, right?
2: So, I think of the arms in the system, I think Michael Ballman is the fourth best arm in the system. Um, when I'm talking about prospects, behind Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall, and Kyle Bradish, I think Michael Ballman is right there. I think he's a very, very good prospect. Um, however, I don't know. If, well, I shouldn't say however. I, I really don't know if those starts that he made at the end of the year were really a good representation of what Michael Ballman is. I think he's a lot better than that. He's a guy who threw a no-hitter a few years ago. He's a very, very talented pitcher with a good mix of pitches. Um, and he's I, I think he's going to be really effective in this league for a long time. I think he's going to get a big opportunity this year, and I think he's going to seize it. I like I, I
1: can see a little bit of Chris Tillman.
2: Yeah, sure. I, I, I like Ballman, kind of that long and lanky kind of look to well, him, Well, and, and
1: a guy who... Uh, through a minor league no hitter, the talent mm-hmm. was obviously there, but it took him a little bit of time to discover, yeah. and then once once he did, he became one of the best pitchers in your rotation for a five year stretch. I've
2: yeah. been impressed with Ballman for for a few years now throughout the minors, and I again I don't think those star team made were really representative of, of what he is as a pitcher, and I think he's a lot better than that. And I think he's gonna come out and seize the opportunity and probably become a uh, a pretty worthwhile starter for the Orioles this year, and, and they really could use it. I mean, they could use a guy as reliable as Ballman. Um at, or at, or what he was in the minor leagues, I should say, and, and how reliable. He was down there, and the numbers he put up because, frankly, they were really, really good numbers throughout his entire minor league career. So they need that kind of guy.
1: Yeah, I, I look at um, I look at the Orioles rotation as a whole, and they're gonna. Last year, they were trying to see if guys like Bowman and Aiken and Kramer yeah. could, st- could step up, and they didn't. They kind of fell flat on their face. I look at the Orioles rotation this year as there's gonna be some of that. Yeah. But I think they're going to have to supplement it with talent too, and they've already started right. to do that with with Jordan Lyles. Um, Jordan Lyles makes a big
2: difference. He really, does. if he can stay healthy, that is a big people, difference.
1: People are so blinded by the five fifteen ERA, and no, I was it's, it's, and I was at first too. But right. you have to dig a little bit deeper. Right, the guy would have had the most quality starts and the most starts with with three earned runs or less. I'm going to check out any pitcher on the team. Do last you remember year. what
2: his FIP was? I think that could be.
1: That I I didn't I didn't check out his fit, but okay. I, I, that's not what I go to. I I, I like feeling independent pitching. Um, it's basically like like the three true outcomes, I guess, of of pitchers. <laughs>
2: well, I was hoping it would be a bit, be a little bit better than 534, but unfortunately, it's 534. Well, because
1: he led, the, he gave up the most home runs in the American League. He last did. Year. He, he, gave he had 38 did. home runs and pitching in, in Camden Yards. That's that's going to be a difficult. a little concerning. I'd like to see his ground ball to fly ball rate mm-hmm. as far as his outs are concerned and his strikeout rate, but. Two thirds of his starts, he was really good. Right. Yeah. He had better than that. He he had he had twenty three of his thirty two outings. He was really good. He he had a 320
2: ERA. How many quality starts again? 14?
1: He had 14 quality starts, and he had 18 starts of three earned runs or less. Look,
2: guys, the Orioles need that. That is is a big difference from what they've had in previous years, and that's a big upgrade. Even though the guy's going to be very frustrating at times. I'm going to tell you right now, Jordan Lyles will frustrate a lot of people because he's going to give up the home run ball a lot, and i will probably have these blow-up games where he gives up like four home runs. I mean there there's a good chance of that happening. Right. Um but if he can get you know if he can give you five innings, say he gives up four solo home runs but he gives you five innings and strikes out six, I'd be okay with that. Like it, that gives the offense a chance to win.
1: Basically his ERA is the equivalent of giving up three and a half runs every six innings. Yeah. That, that's that's basically what it what it which it's is the perfectly equivalent fine. of which is which is fine for me. Yeah. Uh, th- now if ask me again if the Orioles were a ninety eight win team last year and this was well, a this was a free agent yeah. guy that they brought in. Like Look, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be starts in there this year where he's he's going to piss you off. Oh yeah, where it's gonna be the third inning and you're down seven to one.
2: We're gonna come in on the show and go. Jordan Lyles is the worst pitcher. Of the, why, why did the Orioles sign this guy? But then right. you have to put it in perspective.
1: And then he'll have two starts where he get he goes seven innings of three run ball mm-hmm. and eight innings of two run ball, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, the the guy can pitch. Yeah. he clearly can pitch. Ten and thirteen. Uh, 180 innings last year, and again, 23 of his 32 outings he had a th- 3.20 ERA. Yeah,
2: so love it.
1: That's better than two thirds. Oh yeah, uh, I I will take that. I mean, that's basically what we saw from John Means at uh, the, yeah. this year. The beginning of the year was so good, but then he then after the in, after the shoulder fatigue when he came back, he wasn't very good, and then you right. have a, a start sprinkled in where he gave up three runs in. in Or two runs in seven innings, and then he gave up four in five innings. You know, it's basically what we saw the second half of the season from John Means. Look, we got to get, we got to get a break. I just want to remind you. Uh, that once again this season, Press Box's Project Game Day is the destination to halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. If you want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show, you can tune in to Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined post game by your favorite analysts like the NFL chicks, Serena Hubbard, Ken Zalas, and more. Ken Zalas joins Glenn tomorrow for the press, bo- uh, for the press box for the Baltimore Green Bay matchup. You can watch the show at facebook.com/pressboxsports and listen at pressboxonline.com/radio press. Box, Fox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days, Grill, and Window Nation. You're listening to the Bat Around.
5: Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger. Urban cider apple ginger mule and captain's hot cider find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com great food good sports
7: what's up everybody this is ty's bowser i can't wait to see you guys for the ties bowser show this fall we're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area you can meet me and my very special guests if you can't make it out you can watch the show on live on PressBox facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ties Bowser Show.
8: That first sip. (laughs) That first bite. Mm.
1: Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See Restaurant for details.
9: From all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at mybookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie.
10: The latest issue of Pressbox is available now and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sportsperson of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and at pressboxonline.com
1: All right, we are back here on the battle around. Just want to uh, want to change gears here a little bit. Um, we're trying to help helping up with uh, get people who are in need get coats, get get clothes, uh, socks, canned goods, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Glenn Radio, Glenn Clark Radio is asking for your help. These are the final days for us to collect coats and clothes for men, women, and children at Baltimore's Helping Up Mission. We have drop-off boxes set up throughout the area, including at Glory Days Grill in Towson, Mother's North and Timonium, Chick Fil A, Nottingham Square, Jerry's Toyota, and Jerry Chevrolet in Baltimore County, Uptown Chesapeake, and Bel Air, which is right across the street from where I work. Uh, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, and right here in Meadow Mill, 3600 Clipper Mill Road in Hampton. It's right downstairs. I pass that box every day that yep. I walk in here. If you drop off coats and clothes, please take a picture and tweet it to gl- at Glenn Clark Radio or email Glenn at or email Glenn at pressboxonline.com and you'll be registered to win an autograph 16 by 20 JK Dobbins canvas, courtesy of Great Eights memorabilia. Um, oh man, my my mom's best friend donated, oh my God, they must have donated 50 coats. Nice. They mu- 50 coats, shorts, shirts, pants, all sorts of stuff. I, I had to make three trips up. From the car to donate it, guys. All you have to do is, even if you just drop off one coat, drop off a coat in one of these boxes. Take a picture of yourself and you and send it to Glenn at Glenn Clark Radio or email at, or email Glenn at PressBoxOnline.com. And there's a good chance that you could win a signed canvas by J.K. Dobbins. It's the canvas is phenomenal. It's an action picture of him running um, with a black background and it's his signature. So go out there and help us help helping up this holiday season and. Give the gift of warmth and well-being. Uh, we did. I, I did an interview um, yesterday with Shy Davidi. He covers the Blue Jays for Sportsnet.ca in Toronto. He's also an on-air personality for Sportsnet Television up there in Toronto. And we d- dove into the uh, the Blue Jays off-season and how they kind of. They underperformed their Pythagorean wins and losses last mm-hmm. year by eight. They should have won 99 games. How talented that roster is yeah. this year. Uh, and Shai and I dove into that. Uh, you got load it loaded up for us? It? It. Right, I have it. I'm ready to great. go. Yeah. Shai and I dove into that yesterday talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. All right. And Joining us now on the battle round, he is Shy Davidi. He covers the Toronto Blue Jays for Sportsnet.ca and is a television personality for Sportsnet. Shy, how are you today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking a little bit of time to join us on the program today, and Chad, let's just dive right in here. the The Blue Jays last year, ninety-one and sixty-one. They were a, uh, I'm sorry, ninety-one and seventy-one. The finished in fourth place in the American League East, just on the outside of the playoffs. Looking in, their Pythagorean wins and losses, though, were it was ninety-nine and sixty-three. They had two of the three finalists for MVP. They had the Cy Young Award winner. A solid rotation for all intents and purposes uh, towards the end of the season. What kept the Blue Jays from getting over that hump and getting back to the playoffs in 2021?
6: Well, they had some bullpen issues that were pretty well documented in May, and June, and you know, off the top of my head, I can think about a dozen games that slipped through their fingers uh, just during that stretch. And you can find other games, uh, particularly you know, prior to July, where you know, you know, one pitch here and there and they have a completely different season they suffered a few injuries to their bullpen early on that ended up debilitating them for a while until their relief course stabilized and they made a couple deals you know that was really difficult for them to close out games and so you know that's the primary issue but you know i think any time a team misses a postseason by one game you know there you, know, you can have all you can look back and find all kinds of different issues but, I think if you're looking at the primary ish primary cause of the fact that they didn't meet the expected wins loss and ended up, you know, they just falling one game short, I think you could point to some of the bullpen issues that they had.
1: Well, then let's talk about the bullpen a little bit. They have a really solid closer in Jordan Romano. Tim Miza and Adam Simber had nice seasons, as did Trevor Richards, but it was all in fairly small sample sizes. When you look at how much relievers are used this day and age, the rest of the bullpen was fairly middling, and you mentioned their, their struggles in the middle of the season. How big of an emphasis are the Blue Jays putting on strengthening that bullpen once things get back up and running this season?
6: Well, they feel a lot better about where their bullpen is now compared to where it was, uh, you know, especially during that May-June period, right? You know, uh, Tim Meza has emerged as, a, you know, a, an excellent setup pitcher. And, you know, really from, from June onwards, he was one of the best relievers in baseball statistically. You know, Jordan Romano, as you mentioned, it gives him a solid closer. You know, the, the midseason trades for Simber and Trevor Richards added some depth. Uh, They added Yimmy Garcia prior to the lockout and, you know, he's going to be another sort of mid to to late game piece there. That's going to give them some quality. So, you know, they, they feel a lot better. I do still think that they're going to try to add a few more arms. Uh, You know, David Phelps was a significant injury that hurt them last year. He was pitching tremendously well. The Blue Jays brought him back on a minor league deal. If he's healthy I'd expect him to factor for the team at some point. So, you know they've done some work in that regard, but I think that, especially given how last season played out, you know if they can add, you know at least one more leverage type of arm, somebody who can get some more swing and miss for them, you know I think they'll feel a lot
1: better and a lot more comfortable with the situation they're in. Well, and then you look at the starting rotation. And so even with the, lo- the the loss of Robbie Ray, they're still really solid. Now, Robbie Ray did leave in free agency after winning a Cy Young award with the Blue Jays in 2021. He signed that deal with the Mariners. Kevin Gossman's been brought in on a five-year, $110 million deal. We know Kevin Gossman well in Baltimore. He had moments of brilliance here, and he had moments that would make you shake your head. Had a solid ERA in 2021, but was about a four-and-a-half ERA pitcher in the second half what are the expectations for Kevin Gosman? Do they expect him to come in and fill that role adequately? That's left by Ray.
6: Yeah, I, I really think that uh, to a certain extent, you know, Ray and Gosman were either ors for the Blue Jays. You know, they're they're both elite pitchers, and you know, Kevin Gosman is, is different. It, it, it really evolved from the pitcher that he was in Baltimore. Right. He really discovered himself with San Francisco, uh, and, and over the past couple of seasons you know, learning to, to use his fastball more effectively, focusing on the on the splitter and, and just having that two-pitch mix. And, you know, the Blue Jays saw that two-pitch mix work with Robbie Ray, uh, albeit with a fastball slider. So I, I think the Blue Jays expect him not necessarily to be Cy Young caliber, but to be uh, a consistent front-of-the-rotation type of starter for them. Uh, you know, and they pair him with Jose Barrios, you know, the return of uh, Alec Manoa. They still have Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, who you know tailed a little bit towards the end of the season but recovered in the final weekend uh to deliver a strong start and show that you know he he certainly got uh, a lot more in the tank there uh, and then they have Ross Stripling and I'd expect the Blue Jays to add another starter uh before before the season begins as well so you know I think from that from that vantage point the I think the Blue Jays are going to be pretty comfortable with where they're at from a rotation standpoint And, you know, Kevin Gossman just has to be good. And and if he's good and Barrios is good, and, you know, they get the depth of of starting that they did, you know, that was a big reason why they had a lot of success
1: last season. Now, you said that you do expect them to go out and get another starting pitcher, maybe even two. Um, Are they going to go for somebody who's kind of middle of the pack or you expect them to be players at the top of, the or in the deep end of the pool, so to speak?
6: Well, I think from a free agent standpoint, They've they've shot their shot, right? You know, okay. Robbie Ray, the the five one ten. You know, they they extended Jose Barrios for one hundred thirty one over seven mil or over seven years. Excuse me. So you know, I think from a financial standpoint, if they end up in free agency, I'd expect it to be sort of the the middle to, to lower tier of the market. You know, and we can judge that based on some of the actions. You know, they tried to bring back. Stephen Matt, they pursued Andrew Heaney and Andrew Scofani. Uh, you know, so that, that was the, the range of sort of free agent starter they had been looking at, okay. uh, as a complement to the top of the market piece. Uh, but we do know that there are some trade, uh, some, some quality starters available in trade that, that shoe hasn't fallen yet in the market. And the blue Jays do have the pieces with which to trade. So, you know, I think that if the blue Jays see some value there, um, see the right fit. I I can see the Blue Jays trying to get a, you know, a a, a more of an upper tier type of starter via trade. But I also think the Blue Jays are going to be looking to address their need for an extra infielder via trade as
1: well. Well, and and let's talk about that a little bit. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, Marcus Simeon, he left in free agency, signed that monster deal with the Texas Rangers. Now, look, we've seen, you know, we saw the Trevor Story interviewed, or not interviewed, but went in for a visit with Texas, and we heard that there was a 10-year, $275 million offer, offer for Correa with Detroit. Didn't really hear much about Marcus Simeon in talks with the Blue Jays. Did the Blue Jays make a, a competitive offer for him, or did they just say, hey, we're going to let you test free agency, and if you go, you go? And secondly to that, do they have a replacement for him at second base?
6: Well, so let's start with the latter piece. You know, Kevin Vigio ended up having an injury marred and very difficult season mm-hmm. last year, and you know it really sounds like the Blue Jays want to get him more plate appearances this year, that they still believe in him. And, and rightly so, they should continue to believe in him. Uh, and, you know, whether that's as a, you know, an everyday regular at second base or in more of a super utility role, I think that's still to be determined. Uh, but, you know, I think Kevin Vigio is a factor in their planning in some way, shape or form. Uh, that being said, the Blue Jays did, we're engaged with Marcus Simeon. I don't know what their final offer to him was, but I'm fairly certain that you know where the price for him ended up being, you know 175 over over seven. You know, that would have been probably a, an area that the a level that the Blue Jays weren't going to be comfortable with. So, uh, you know, I think that you know Marcus Simeon, his influence on the team cannot be understated. His impact beyond the stat sheet cannot be understated. Uh, and I think the Blue Jays, we're going to get a sense of how much of that lingers without him uh, now that he's gone. Uh, but I do think the Blue Jays will be looking to replace him. And they will have some sort of, uh, definitely have an opportunity to replace him, either him at second base or perhaps get a third baseman uh, and then use Biggio at second.
1: Well, they certainly do have a lot of production in, in there that they are going to need to pre- re going to need to replace 45 homers over 100 RBIs. Now, I do want to go back to the starting rotation just a little bit because you did mention Alec Manoa. He was a standout rookie, had an amazing year last year, really burst onto the scene. Uh, does having a young guy with such a promising arm take some of that sting off of uh, losing Robbie Ray in free agency? And what are the expectations for Alec Manoa moving forward? Is he viewed as an ace of this staff or like a number two, number three guy behind Gossman and Barrios?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think for the time being, the way they're set up, you know, they don't need him to be that ace guy. I and mean, I don't think they want to put that much on him uh, at this point. You know, he's, even though he transitioned relatively well, he's still, you know, in part because of the pandemic, in part because of his age and, you know, the, how recently he was drafted, you know, his experience level is still. Very very minimal in professional baseball, let alone the big league. So, you know, I think the Blue Jays are going to try to a certain degree be careful and not overburden uh, a young player like that. But you know, he's certainly someone that they view as being capable of pitching at the, at the top of a rotation. You know, Nate Pearson has also had a lot of stops and starts and. You know, he he has all the pieces to be uh, an absolutely dominant pitcher on the mound as well. Uh, but he needs to find a way to stay on the field first, and you know, build back some of the, the missed time that have really stunted his growth and development. But I think those two pieces, uh, you know, together give the Blue Jays an opportunity to not only have good performance towards uh, in the middle to the back of the of the rotation but also an opportunity to create some financial efficiency as well, which is going to be important for them as other parts of their roster become more
1: expensive. Now, they spent a lot of money last year on George Springer, and he was another guy who had difficulty staying on the field in his first season in Toronto. How has he been embraced by the fan base there with his inability to stay healthy for the full season, and what are the expectations for him moving forward? How is he doing this offseason health-wise?
6: Well, it was kind of interesting, right, because... When he was injured, it was during the portion of the season that you know the Blue Jays were in Dunedin, Florida, first, and then in Buffalo. So you know they he was really this sort of thing that you know the star that they weren't getting, being able to see and uh, they weren't able to touch or connect with, and there were just sort of clips of him on TV, and that was really it. Uh, and uh, you know it became a running joke that you know, George Springer is, uh, you know, running the bases today or, you know, the daily updates on his health status. Uh, but once he, you know, once he started rounding into form uh, and was on the field, it coincided with the return to Toronto. And he had some really great moments, including, you know, a really uh, important uh, homer to cap a, a big comeback against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, in one of the you know the club's more thrilling games of the season, uh, and that, that certainly endeared fans to him. And, and I think that you know when he was performing for the team, when he was healthy, you could see just how impactful a player he was, and it was incredibly obvious. And so, uh, you know, all things uh, being considered, you know the Blue Jays fans once once they really got to lay you know their own eyes on him and see him in person. You know they, they really embraced him. He became one of the most more popular players here. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are front runners in that category. Uh, but you know the, you know he he quickly established himself or demonstrated why the Blue Jays uh, had so much faith in him to give him that contract. And you know I think that he was going to you know he, he played through some some tough knee issues at the end of the year. Uh, he's recovering uh, by all accounts and. The Blues expect to get more of him next season as he has a more, well, maybe not with the lockout, but a more normal off-season of preparation, knowing which team he's going to play for and things of that
1: nature. Well, it certainly is a highly talented roster uh, up there in Toronto. It's crazy, man. That This team wins 91 games, and they're a fourth-place team. Any other division, they're probably at the top of the division I think they have legitimate World Series aspirations uh, if they can get over that hump of getting past the teams that are in front of them. Uh, how difficult is it for this team playing in the American League East when you look up in the standings and you have the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Rays all staring back at you?
6: I mean, that's just this division, right? It's it's, it's a, a meat grinder for a reason, and uh, and it's got a reputation for being the best division in baseball, and, and it's earned because... You know, you've got arguably the smartest team in baseball in the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, you've got two of the best finance teams in the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, you know, and, you know the Blue Jays and the Orioles have had their moments, so and they've been uh, very competitive. Uh, and for and so, you've got five franchises who can really, really do some damage. So, you know, I think the reality is, you know, the Blue Jays are are. At least as good, if not better, than the Red Sox and the Yankees, and really they lost last. They let last season slip away for them on the margins. You know, they're part of that is they had young players who are learning and growing. You know, Bobichet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. were playing 162 games for the first time and learning what it takes to compete not only uh, for that length of time, but also. Under the, the playoff pressures that come with you know meaningful August and September baseball, so you know I think they, the Blue Jays had a lot of uh, a lot of growing pains last year to to a degree uh, that will probably serve them well. Uh, but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get anywhere, you're gonna have to go through those teams one way or the other. And so, you know, I think being in that division, it, it can be both a burden, but it also forces you to be, to be at your best in many ways, too. And,
1: you know, as much as it can be uh,
6: a detriment, it can be a benefit as well.
1: He is Shy Davidi. He covers the Blue Jays for Sportsnet in Toronto. Shy, how can our listeners find you on Twitter?
6: Uh, handle is S-H-I-D-A-V-I-D-I. Uh, same handle on Instagram as well. And sportsnet.ca is where the works at.
1: Absolutely, and is there anything we can plug for you before we let you go today?
6: Uh, well, I, do, uh, I did publish an update to my book, Blue Jays Big 50, uh, last May, and that is uh, still available.
1: Excellent, excellent. We'll be sure to go out and take a look at that. And, shy, we hope to have you on the program sometime in the next spring, summer, and talk about the, uh, the baseball season. Hopefully the Blue Jays are uh, making their way towards the playoffs again. You have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.
6: Thanks. Uh, appreciate you having me on. All the best to everybody uh,
1: over the holiday season. Absolutely. Same to you. Take care. And that was Shai Daviti from Sportsnet in Canada. Uh, Sportsnet in Toronto, the on-air personality, and he's a columnist for Sportsnet.ca, talking about the Blue Jays. And honestly... They have arguably the best roster in the American League East. It's really good, and it's really good. And they underperformed. They they underperformed. That that team finished in fourth place with ninety one wins. Mm-hmm. They should have been a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Hey, they they honestly, when you look at that roster top to bottom, they should have won the division. They they honestly should have won the division. They didn't. Even if they had won ninety nine games. Uh, they wouldn't have won division because Tampa Bay won what, like 103, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> They're so, pretty good, but uh, the the AL East is just so loaded, and it's it's it, obviously when the fourth place team has 91 wins, they they finished a game out of the playoffs. They're gonna be a force, man. That team is yeah. gonna be really good this year. Yeah, uh, they lost Robbie Ray, they lost Marcus Simeon, but they brought in Kevin Gossman. Alec Manoa is gonna be another year seasoned. Uh, Young Jim Ryu, you expect he's gonna bounce yep. back a little bit. Plus Barrios uh, and Ross Stripling. It's there, And then you look at the lineup, and they lost Marcus Simeon, but they still have um, Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette. They still have Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, George Springer. Uh, and that, that's before you even mention, you know, they expect Cal- Kevin Biggio to take a big step forward. Yeah. coming year. They think he's going to be their primary second not a ba- second big, big
2: Biggio guy, personally. I don't know. But maybe he's he's, he's I'm not he's a bitch I'm
1: not a big big e o guy.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm I don't know. He just he walks a lot, and I like that about him. He gets on base at a really was, high uh, clip. Well,
1: if if you listen to the to the interview, he was um. He was hurt a little bit this past year, mm-hmm. and they expect him to kind of bounce back and have a better year. They have high hopes for him. Mm-hmm. So the Blue Jays are going to be really, really good. I-, I can't ever find myself rooting for them, yeah. but they're going to be really good this year. They have a lot of talent I- I on agree. that roster, and I would not be surprised to see them be serious World Series contenders this year. Yeah. But he also said he doesn't think they're done uh, with with their offseason moves. He doesn't think that they're going to... Um, Make any do anything substantial, but they could get a mid rotation starter to kind of round out, and maybe another reliever or two to kind of round out that bullpen because that's what why they faltered was they had a bullpen implosion the middle of the season, yeah. Uh, Look, we got to get another break. I just want to remind you, though, before we do, that you can join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas. KZ will help you set your lineups and find deep deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire in order to help you win your matchups. It's all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Grill. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas. Every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. You can watch at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com
0: Once again this season, Pressbox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL Chick, Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com/PressboxSports and listen at PressboxOnline.com. Radio. Press Box's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Day's Grill and Window Nation. Sports fans,
5: the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and
1: cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details.
5: The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today.
0: If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives could change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close.
8: Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration.
10: The latest issue of PressBox is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including
7: What's up, everybody? This is Ties Bowser, I can't wait to see you guys for the Ties Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ties Bowser show.
1: got to let it roll for a minute I know I have
2: I, I just love it so much that I have to let it roll all right, there is a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as the Batarounds' own Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com/pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com/radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR this week. The guys caught up with Navy football, co- Navy football coach Ken Niamatololo, former Ravens defensive coordinator and NFL head coach Mike Nolan, and find those interviews and more at the in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature. Right now at pressboxonline.com, did I nail it, Paul?
1: I like how you got Niamatololo right. but I couldn't get Navy but, Coach. But, <laughs> but you couldn't get <laughs> yeah. Navy Coach and Woo. at or the.
2: Yeah. were the two were the words well, that tripped you up? It's, cool. be- it's because I was thinking about Ken Niamatololo. Turn yourself down a little. And uh, bit. I'm just screaming, I guess, at this point. But um, I was thinking about saying the name, and and then I just like I, I just messed up the stuff before it. But I, I apologize to uh, to Ken Niamatololo.
1: Hey, you know what though, man. You want to make yourself feel better? Let's do it. What did did you do this week? (laughs) I I didn't do anything, but what you can do is you can head down to Live Casino and Hotel. Mm. and you can place your bets because the wait is finally Can I, though? Over. I'm not sure I can. You're, you're 18. You can bet when you're oh, 18. Oh, I thought it was 21. Is it 21? I don't know. I, Maybe I we it's should to drink. <laughs> but the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook uh, sports is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. You can bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Look, I'm not much of a gambler um, because I, I, I have a hard time spending money on things. That, I'm not cheap. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm. For example, when I go out to a restaurant, I'm a, an extraordinarily good tipper, right? I'm not cheap, mm-hmm. but I have to do a lot of convincing to get myself to spend money on stuff that could be considered frivolous. Well, I right,
2: I I, I would prefer to spend money on tangible things.
1: Yeah, well, so like I've needed new golf clubs for like three or four years, mm-hmm. and I've, I I I could have saved the money by now to go buy them, but I keep convincing myself that it's not pertinent and it's not something I should be spending my money on. Well, but, I would disagree uh, with that, but right, <laughs> right. But, <laughs> this is my
2: view. But so. I think I think that's a lot better an investment than, than gambling is, but it, but I also but, but, think that but
1: but we can gamble now. Yes, we can gamble now, and you can go down. You can place a, a small well, bet. You can you can you can place a, a twenty dollar bet, and you can make thirty nine bucks if you win. Yeah. So I, I saw that Glenn had had a had a. Uh, a bet where if he, he he bet twenty and if he won he would have won thirty nine dollars. Right? I mean
2: I'm not going to say that it's not it, it it's not very fun because sport, sports betting it can be can be incredibly fun.
1: Yeah no and, and especially at a place like Live Hotel and Casino or Live Casino and Hotel excuse me, I really want to get down there and see the sports. Poker. Oh I've heard
2: I, the people on Twitter are saying it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's I, heard, I, yeah. like
1: even if. Even if I bet five bucks on something, and I can just look at all the TVs and be in hog yeah. heaven. I, I really got to get down there and check it yeah. out. So you walking head down there and check it out. That again, that is the uh, sports book, the all new Fanduel Sportsbook now live, uh, now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. Get down there and check it out today because you can do it now. Yeah, we finally have brick and mortar betting. In D- the didn't
2: uh, didn't Mayor Scott bet on the Orioles to be five
1: hundred this year? I did not see that. I don't yeah, pay attention I, to a lot that he does. I don't,
2: I don't know about that one.
1: I don't know about that hey, one. They, they could. But, uh, you never know with that salary floor, man. Yeah, well. With that, with that, If they put in a salary floor and Adley Rutschman comes up and Grayson Rodriguez and Ryan Mountcastle it's 370 with 98 home runs and Trey Mancini gets hey. back to be in 2019, Trey Mancini. Wait, did, Cedric, you just, did you and,
2: just say 98 home uh-huh, runs? And
1: Cedric Mullins goes, it becomes a 50-50 guy. Uh, yeah, I think the Orioles could be 500 this year. <laughs> 50-50, Cedric <laughs> yeah. Seems realistic. A 50-50 guy, why yeah, not? Yeah, well. Why not? Hey mean, Brady! Brady one year stole fifty bases. Another did. year hit fifty home runs. And
2: the year he stole fifty bases, I think he hit like
1: twenty-one home runs. Yeah, I was gonna 24. say four. I, I think he hit twenty-four. You
2: know, I thought it was more. I was gonna say like thirty-six, but I could be wrong. No, he never one hit that many. many. He, okay.
1: Yeah, he, his best years with home runs were. You know, you should you should test me on this. Okay. Since remember oh, we were gonna do the, this trivia thing. Yeah. yeah. So you should. You. I believe there are four okay. seasons that Brady Anderson hit twenty or. or th- do you want to just make that the trivia this week? Yeah, I believe there are four seasons that Brady Anderson hit 20 or more home runs in a season. I want to say in 1992, he hit 24 home runs and stole 53 bases. Wait, 1992 you said? Or is it, it's either 24 or 21 home runs, and he stole 53 bases. 21 and 53. 21 and 53. In 1996, he hit... 50 home runs and stole 26 bases? 21 bases. Twenty one. That's where the 21 comes correct, from. 50 was correct, yeah. And in 1998, he hit 24 home runs. And then I think his next highest nope. after that... He
2: hit 18 in 1998.
1: Uh, in he hit 24 home runs. Yes. yes. Wow, you're like the Brady yeah. Anderson ne- and I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, his, yeah. next, wow. his next best season, he hit 18, and that was 1998. So his best seasons are 24, 24, 50... And eighteen. Those are his four all best right, home let's, run
2: years. Let's do a, Let's do a quick little uh, Brady Anderson trivia. All okay. right, name is four jersey numbers.
1: Oh, see, I don't know that.
2: Oh, okay. I, well, I, I mean,
1: I, I only know him as number nine.
2: Okay, so he he was he was five for Cleveland, and then sixteen for someone. I'm guessing Boston.
1: He played uh, for Boston. He got traded here for Bo- from Boston.
2: It actually says it, it was the 1988 Orioles. He was number 16. So he must have switched his number the following year. Yeah. yeah. So, so
1: But he, he came here in the... Um, he was number 9. With, I think he came here for... Was it P- Pete Harnish?
2: Oh, so I, I'm actually wrong. Sorry. So he was he was number 5 for the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. And then he was number 9 with Cleveland. And then he was number 16 with the Orioles. And then number 9 with the Orioles. So that's how... That's well, how so went.
1: he went to Cleveland after the Orioles. Yes. Yeah. yeah Cleveland so was in O so, two. 2 Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, there's a lot that I know about those. Um, Clearly. <laughs> uh, about those. Um... Wait, you want to keep going with this Brady Anderson thing real quick? Let, 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 let's give it a shot. Okay. I, there's not much I know. There's not much else that I know. I know his home run numbers.
2: Which year did he strike out the most?
1: Oh, man. Which year did he strike out the Probably his 50-homer year. No. But uh, he also that struck. That was close, though. That was, that was number two. He also struck out a lot in 2001. He was bad uh, in two thousand one. He, he was really bad. And in two thousand, he was bad. I think in two thousand, he hit like two thirty six or something like that.
2: Uh so in two thousand he hit two fifty seven. But in two uh, two thousand one, he hit two oh two. But he did. He only struck out uh, seventy seven times. In he 2001. also was hurt a lot in two thousand one. Yeah, played only uh one hundred and thirty one games. Yeah. But the, the year he actually struck out the most was in nineteen ninety five with one hundred and eleven. Uh, but number uh, year number two for that was nineteen ninety six with uh, one hundred and six.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, Brady and Cal didn't strike out a lot, which is crazy. If you go back and yeah. look at the Cal's numbers, Cal never struck out 100 times He was, in so, good. He was all, so good. He, all he was so good. That's why he also grounded in the most double plays in Major League history before Albert Pujols yeah. surpassed him, because he always put the ball in play. How it, about, uh, How
2: many All-Star games did he make? Uh,
1: three.
2: Bingo! Three. There you go. 92,
1: 90, uh, 92, 96, and I believe he went in ninety-seven also.
2: All right, final one. Uh, this one is going to. They, be...
1: they let him participate in the home run derby in ninety-seven, even though he only hit like eighteen home runs that year. Wow,
2: I did not know that actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess that coming off a fifty home run season, yeah. you kind of have to put that guy. I mean, he he had massive power, no doubt. I mean, where it came from, we won't want to speculate. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we do we, here. We don't want to speculate. Remains to be seen. We don't want to speculate. Um, let's see. How many career home runs did he hit?
1: Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh,
2: I'm gonna give you three guesses for the That's pretty hard. You get three guesses.
1: 227. Oh, you're really close. Uh, Higher or lower? Lower. Lower. 217.
2: Oh, you're getting closer, but no.
1: See, this is like a ridiculous thing because I have nothing to go (laughs) off of. This is (laughs) well, I mean, you're a Brady Anderson encyclopedia, so this is. So let, let, let me think here. His first year, he hit, I think, what was it, four home runs his first like 89 in think, baltimore yeah i think yeah. in 89 he had four home runs mm-hmm. then i think he had like seven home runs um and then he he kind of came out of nowhere with the 24 in 92 21 92 uh, 21 in 92
2: yeah. um i think see. you should probably just make a guess cuz it's going to be kind of difficult to add them all up
1: 213
2: <laughs> 210 you're 210. Very, you're very close i'm impressed i'm very impressed you're very close
1: yeah like I can tell you that Brooks Robinson hit 268 home runs, and I can tell you That's that, Mike, that Mike Mussina won 270 games. D- didn't
2: Cal hit like 432 home runs? Something 432 like that? home runs. Yeah, yeah it's the
1: most home runs ever by a shortstop. Yeah, um, which is
2: surprising because I feel like Ernie Banks should been should have been in that conversation. Yeah. I, I'm surprised you. A Rod would have would have blown him out well, of the water, yeah. but he moved to third base. Right,
1: which I was was like one of the happiest things of my baseball <laughs> life was A Rod not passing Cal for that because yeah. screw that guy. Um whoa <laughs> I, I dude I, <laughs> no, I know everybody just seems to forget that A Rod is uh, is a complete scumbag. Like every because because he's nice looking and he's on TV now and he's yeah. got a charming personality, everybody forgets that he is a massive piece of human garbage.
2: I well, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna comment too much, but I liked him as a player. I did. I really I love his swing. It's such a pretty swing.
1: See, I also always hated him. As a player, because in 1996, when A. Rod hit 36 home runs in his rookie year, mm-hmm. I was so upset because I was like, "He's a rookie and he hit 36 home runs." Yeah. A, and he hit like 323. I was like, "A, he's going to steal the thunder from Ken Griffey, and yeah. Griffey was my all-time favorite player." And B, there's no way that if this guy's hitting 36 home runs as a rookie shortstop, that he's not going to pass Cal. Yeah, there's no way. Right. And then he, the way that it happened was he went to the Yankees and they made him play third base. Yeah.
2: And he you know. was not a good defender down there, not at all. I mean, no. he, he, he was a really—I mean, when he came up, he, he was a, a really good defensive shortstop. Yes, he, he was the
1: best shortstop on the Yankees, and they—but Derek Jeter.
2: I would argue for a time he was one of the most talented baseball players to ever play the game. Um, in the, in the nineties when he was the, a shortstop for the Mariners,
1: the guy didn't need steroids, and that's oh no, the, he didn't. Most of the guys that use steroids that are up for Hall of Fame induction didn't need steroids to no. do what they did. No. The it's the vanity in it. Mm-hmm. It's so incredibly vain. You, Barry Bonds was because he saw lesser players like Greg Vaughn, and uh, it never never proven that Greg Vaughn used steroids. But so, but Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were clearly using steroids, and because Barry Bonds saw that, and it was legal at the time, he saw that, and he was like, "I am." Five, ten times a baseball player these guys are and they're getting all the recognition because they're using steroids and hitting all these home runs imagine if I used steroids what (laughs) I would do and he does and goes out and and hits 73 freaking (laughs) home runs yeah uh, there was a season where he got on base more times than he had uh, at bats. Well, I
2: mean, his intentional walk numbers are simply ridiculous. Buck Showalter, I believe it was with, with, with the Rangers. I, I might be... No, Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, okay. Yeah, so he, he walked him with the, with with the bases, bases loaded. loaded in
1: the ninth inning. It worked. Yeah. They won the game. Right, right. Because you knew Barry was going to hit a grand slam. Right. I saw a video the other day. He's just so good. He was of, so good. It was like a Japanese show, and there was a guy jumping up and down on a trampoline on a pitcher's mound, like really high up. And he throws a pitch to Barry Bonds, who's wearing jeans and a sweatshirt, and Bonds hits like a 430-foot <laughs> home run on the on, on one pitch.
2: And this is like recent, like this is like no, no. This was oh, this is th- back in like 01. Okay,
1: was, th- look it up. Uh, Bonds hits home run off guy on trampoline. <laughs> just, just look it up. Look, look, All right, I'll Google do Bonds. So. Bonds hits home run off guy on trampoline. It's it's, it's ridiculous. Um, the guy and he even said he said even without. Anything else? If I wasn't the size that I was, if I was the skinniest guy in the league, I'd hit more home runs than anybody because of my hand-eye coordination and my bat speed. Because well, I mean, look, you still have to hit the ball, uh, right? I
2: mean, there there is no question about it. Steroids, yeah, you know, they give you a lot of power, but you still have to actually hit the you, ball.
1: You 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 look at Cedric Mullins. There's no reason Cedric Mullins should hit 30 home runs in a season based on the fact that he's five eight, 160 pounds, right? Yeah. But the the hand the the hand-eye coordination, the bat speed, the bat quickness. Pretty that's good. why. That's pretty, why he, he's a pretty good player. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a, he's a pretty good player. Uh, you know who's not a pretty good player? Uh oh. Most of the guys on the Ravens roster right now, they they are they are so yeah. they are so beat up. It's ridiculous. They're going into a game on Sunday against the Packers with maybe all four of their starting secondary out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Clark might be able to clear protocols today because now you only have to test positive or test negative once if you're vaccinated. Yeah. Um. But there's a, ch- there's a good chance that they're going to be without their, their their starting four in the secondary that they had coming into the season. Yeah. Against Aaron Rodgers, who's arguably the, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You mm-hmm. can't have a conversation about the greatest quarterback of all time without Aaron Rodgers being in it. And there's only four interceptions this year. Last year, MVP at the age of 37 years old. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's all I'm And say. Devontae Adams. I'm going to tell you right now, Devontae Adams is going to have at least 10 catches for at least 180 yards and two touchdowns. And honestly, Seems the, accurate. the catches and the yards, I think I'm selling him short. You I know, would not the 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 best game I ever saw a receiver play against the Ravens. I was at the Ravens-Jags game in 2000. It was uh 2 days before or 2 days after my birthday. Okay. It was yeah, it's like September 15th. September 11th or September 15th was the game. And it was the first time the Ravens ever beat the Jags, but huh. it, they had to come back. They were down like 17 at halftime. Jimmy Smith, wide receiver for the Jags, had 15 catches for 290 yards and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It was the greatest receiving, one of the greatest receiving performances of all time, and the greatest I'd ever, I've ever, to this day, the greatest receiving performance I've ever seen in person. Mm-hmm. If you, Devontae Adams put up that game, on sunday it wouldn't shock me it would surprise me i wouldn't be flabbergasted he's so good and he puts up 10 catches on 120 yards against good teams and not that the ravens aren't a good team they're not good right now cuz they're beat up i think that, i think the packers are going to blow the ravens out of the water i think the ravens can keep up can keep pace a little bit with the offense yeah um, because i i Despite everything, I don't think that the Packers' defense is that great.
2: No. And Tyler Huntley's playing good football.
1: I think that you're looking at 39-23 Packers.
2: Yeah, you know, I I don't see this game being a blowout because the Ravens always seem, and I think it's credit to John Harbaugh mostly, that the Ravens seem to make every game pretty close. Um, except the Bengals game, of course, because yeah. they got blown out. And that
1: one was close in the third quarter, and it just got away from Right.
2: Them. I mean, they, they scored a lot of points in garbage time, so I don't yeah. even really want to count that too much. Uh, however, I do think the Ravens are going to lose this game. Um, I, I don't see them beating Aaron Rodgers. Uh, even though, you know, Kenny Clark's not playing, Jair Alexander's not playing, those are two of the best defensive players in the league. So that's that's a little bit of a benefit, but the Ravens don't have Lamar Jackson, and they have Tyler Huntley playing. Well, um, it, it, it's not guaranteed yet. Well, I mean, he, but he, you're he, didn't, sure. pra- he didn't practice the A single day yeah, this week.
1: Yeah, but there was I mean, Calvin Johnson, when he got to, towards the end of his career, he didn't pra- He never practiced. I
2: just think it's harder for a quarterback because you're doing so much more. Yeah,
1: but Lamar's a freakish athlete.
2: I know he is, but I,
1: I, he he's listed as questionable. I'd be surprised if he plays, but it's not it's not out. The, realm of the,
2: the Ravens also have incredible confidence in Tyler Huntley, and and for good reason. Tyler Huntley is a really good football player. He he's going to be a starting quarterback in two years for for some team. I I would I would put money on that. And Glenn
1: I Glenn seems to be the only one who doesn't think that.
2: Well, I mean he's he's an incredible athlete. The ball placement is is pretty good. It's going to get better, I think, but it's pretty good right now. You you see some of the passes he threw to Rashad Bateman last week. He couldn't have thrown them better. I mean there were two over the shoulder catches that he he threw to Rashad Bateman that he put it right in the. I mean that's what you need to do.
1: Rashad um, Rashad Bateman last week made me really, really open my eyes. I'm already aware of how bad Lamar's been recently. Yeah. But it really opened my eyes to how bad Lamar's been. Well, he's not making any reads. He's, he's just not, not he's making not. any reads. He's not throwing the ball. Bateman no. had no catches no. the week before. And he comes out for 7 for 103. Yeah. Because Huntley's throwing him the ball. He's the best right. receiver on the roster. Well, Huntley
2: just realizes if you throw the ball to him, chances are he's going to catch it or, or get a defensive pass interference flagged. So yeah. that's what's really, really impressive about Bateman. And he's, he's a guy who's, who's a complete receiver. And we've talked about this before in this show, but Huntley is playing with confidence, and I I, I have no doubt that Huntley can lead this offense. I just don't think the Ravens are going to have any defense to, to uh, contend yeah, with Aaron uh, Rodgers.
1: And the they, I mean, in Clay's Campbell still, uh, he had the hamstring injury. Yeah, and he had the concussion and, and he, too. Yeah, a couple weeks back. Yeah, yeah he, I don't think he plays. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I think he, he's doubtful. Yeah. Um, and is, is Anthony Everett playing? Do we know about that? Yeah. An, uh, okay. Yeah, they, he wasn't listed on the injury report last okay. um Okay.
2: has been playing really good football. He's yeah, a really so, good player.
1: Yeah. So I mean, if Everett's going to be on Devontae Adams. Uh, I mean, okay. he's going to get burnt. D- don't get me they're, wrong. They're going to have mean, to double him. Yeah, they're going to have to double him. And then if Chuck Clark doesn't play, does Tony Jefferson get promoted from the practice oh squad? <laughs> um, Love it's, Tony it's, Jefferson, great guy. But it's, it's going to be it's going to be a really really tall order. Yes, for the Ravens to win this game tomorrow. S- I'm so not saying they can't. No, I mean, they, they can't. They're not going to win. My they,
2: have, they have no shots. My tomorrow. prediction is going to be thirty-five seventeen.
1: 17 the that's that's a blowout. Yeah. You said it's not going to be a blowout. Well, but that's a blowout. I changed my mind. <laughs> it's yeah, it's going to be a blowout. They, they, the more they, I think about it, it's going like, to be a blowout. Look, I, I think most teams, even with the Ravens being as beat up as they are, that they could compete. I, I just
2: changed my mind. Tomorrow's going to be the bad. number
1: one seed Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and the Ravens' biggest I- injuries on the defense are in their secondary. Yeah. Gonna be a long day. I mean, they
2: don't. Outside of Averett, they don't even have a secondary at the moment. Yeah, they, they, don't. they don't.
1: Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith will be back, but what does he give you anymore?
2: I, I feel like he's he's pretty close to the end of the line. Um, oh, and, I, 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 this is last year. Yes, yes, he's physical and yes i think he could go up against tight ends there's no way he can take on receivers at this level he's just they're they're too fast and too quick for him at this point point. and he he's gotten burned quite a bit uh over the past yeah. you know few weeks when he even has played he's basically been inactive because he's just not a, a contributor anymore unfortunately
1: no no i i don't i love jimmy smith Me too. i have a jimmy smith jersey i have a jimmy smith autographed jersey in the him. house i love jimmy smith one of my favorite ravens of all time but uh, the the lights at the end of the tunnel yeah. you know what i mean you you can see yes. so look it, it's I'm hoping against hope we're going to my wife's dad's house tomorrow for a uh, for for a Ravens gathering with her family and um, they're usually pretty fun but I have not seen them lose a game watching at her dad's house yet so I, I think that changes well, uh, but we'll see. but Ravens are number one in overall special teams efficiency and the Packers number thirty two. Yeah. So, a couple big special teams plays so when the Ravens could make something happen. Uh, the Ravens can control the ball. They're not going to run the ball they, because they, they don't ever run the ball no. well. Um, they, but they've got to prolong drives. That's the yeah. only way. Special teams and prolonging drives, keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field, is the only way they're going to win that game. I
2: know we have limited time left here, but I, w- I do want to say one thing about Huntley that I think brings it a new dimension to the offense compared to what Lamar did, and it's not Lamar's fault. It's that teams don't respect Huntley's running ability enough to... Take him on every read option because if you look at the read options that Lamar runs, nobody's falling for the running back fakes. Nobody. They all just go to right. Lamar because they know he's keeping the ball and they know how talented he is. People don't know that with Huntley yet, or players, I should say, players don't know that with Huntley yet. So they're not biting on, um, or they're not, they're not. I guess they're not falling um, for it as much with Lamar as they are with Huntley. And I think that's what's. Been actually a change in the running game because Huntley had like sixty yards rushing last week. He did pretty well in his read options, yeah. where he wasn't getting swallowed up because people didn't really realize that oh he can escape the pocket just as quick as Lamar can.
1: That one run he had where he legitimately made like <laughs> seven guys. It's incredible. Was, was you could literally do the crisper and the whoop,
2: whoop. Right, right, whoop, right. Yeah, I mean he he broke like three ankles in that in that yeah. sequence. So I, I think that. The fact that people don't realize how good of a runner Huntley is actually benefits the Ravens, and that's not Lamar's fault. That just is is a credit to how good Huntley is as a football player.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, the Ravens should have won that game. The Ravens oh, yeah. should have won each of the last two games. I agree. They dominated the Steelers for three quarters. Yeah. And lost. Yep. And they they gave up a defensive touchdown, and they had, uh, the, and then they and then Huntley fumbled. I was gonna say Huntley's got to work on the In, fumbles. He, he fumbled inside the ten yeah. yard line. Yeah. L- like, like. You don't, you don't take the sack. That, that's not his fault. No, right? that, that's not his no. fault because Villanueva and Tyree Phillips got burnt <laughs> all day. The this offense, Villanueva has got to be done. Kevin Zeitler, by the way, is having yeah. a Pro Bowl, All Pro level. No sacks allowed. I mean, yeah, he's having incredible. an All Pro caliber season yeah. at, at right guard. But uh, without the fumble, which was his fault because he was carrying it like a loaf of bread. Right. If he just tucks that ball away, the Raiders win that game. Right. They win it. I all agree. right, guys. Thank you for tuning into the batter round Thanks to Stan the Fan Charles for joining us. Thanks to Shai Davidi for the uh, interview that he gave me yesterday about the, the Blue Jays. Thanks to our listeners for continuing to listen. Even when we talk about the Ravens on a baseball show, even when the baseball season is in jeopardy because Major League Baseball and the Players Union are in a lockout right now. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will not be here next week or the week after because of the Christmas and New Year's holidays. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Until next time. See ya.